Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast with less spine than Anthony. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> Jay, Jay, Jay wasn't prepared. <laughs> uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm gonna keep the skirt on. Thank you very much. Um, and I'm Paul Oselson. I've run the gamut. I've been rich. I've been poor. I've been on exile. I've been on this podcast. Let's go. No, see, here's, here's, here's the thing. I knew that Paul would do a Lisi quote because I know Paul. And, you know, Mike would have something great because Mike is, you know, the greatest of the four of us. But I just figured I'd go with the Cassandra impression. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, nicely mm-hmm. played. All right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Jay's currently podcasting 10, <laughs> 10 feet from the road right now. <laughs> Mike has the best callback references. I forget half of these, and then Mike brings them back. All right, we are the memory like Yao Man, but not (laughs) Yao Man at that one point during the memory challenge. All right, here we are in the middle section of Fiji, the meat and potatoes, if you will, and in my personal opinion, the best stretch of Fiji, which is kind of hilarious because this isn't even the section that Jeff hyped in the promos. Like the stuff he hyped was all the end of the season. Like, but to me, this is the meat and potatoes of this season. I love these episodes. I'm having so much fun watching this one, and it just reiterates in my mind why I just don't get why this is such an unpopular season. Mario, you're talking about potatoes. Do you want to quit this podcast? you want to get out of here and get some taters and gravy? He's just having fun, Paul. Oh, he's just having fun. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like callbacks. We're talking. We're calling back like five months of recording now. <laughs> yeah, watch Jay throws in his Krista impression here. Go full circle. What? You gonna talk about potatoes over here, my yo? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so getting back to it. Yes, this is again a very exceedingly unpopular season with some Because I gotta tell pieces. you, I really like potatoes. <laughs> okay. Are you Go done, ahead, Jay? Mario, right. whatever. Shut up, Krista. Oh, screw right. Gene, you guys. Come on. <laughs> oh, he's going way back now. Hey, Do we have any good Marquesas impressions we can pull out? Stay hard. <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right, yes. So, meat and potatoes. I'm trying to stay focused, you guys. But w- what we're all really <laughs> trying to figure out, Mario, is did Kelly uh, permit, uh, you know, give sexual favors for ham sandwiches? I'll have to ask Beatles. Okay. I'll have to unmute him for a couple seconds here. Wouldn't go that far, but thank you for having me. This is what happens when you deprive of us of a bed and a couch. This is this is what happens. We're starving here for material, bro. We're going back to previous callbacks. All right, guys, let's man up. All right, so we just lost Rita. Episode five. <laughs> lost Rita. Still morning. Still morning. That one. <laughs> By the way, someone we got an uh, email the other day from a listener, and this is kind of interesting. That someone said, "Hey, you can't talk about Rita without mentioning the famous clip where she was on The Price Is Right." And she goes up on stage, and she wins a game, and she's so excited that she knees Drew Carey right in the balls. So what? if you go out, seriously, oh, was that something Paul didn't know about? Well, too busy uh, watching well, Renee Siler on the early show. I, I don't. I was gonna I, say I, Montana. I Montana just started getting the the uh, the Bob versions of The Price Is Right. So I think it, it's Bar- gonna yeah, be. Yeah, we're so excited about Bob Barker. Wow. But yeah, this, there is a clip out there on the internet that Rita was on The Price Is Right. I believe before she was on Survivor, and it's a really funny one. It's 
just look for Drew Carey gets need in the balls, and it's 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 quite amusing. And someone emailed us. We have the the greatest listeners that someone pointed that out to us that we had to uh, mention it on the air. So there you go. Don't say you didn't learn anything from these survivor historians. All right, and that's the most interesting thing to say about Rita. All right, so here we go to episode six. We just lost Rita. Moto is still undefeated, and this is the we're about to go into the twist here. At this point in the season, it's still Moto just kicking the crap out of Ravu. Ravu's never won anything. Uh, they're building this big rivalry in the uh, editing up to be Rocky versus Dreams, which is funny because that will be completely inconsequential to this season later down the road. But they're building this up. Little and- rivalries in this season, like they they sort of hype up like tension between two people, and and. It doesn't necessarily go anywhere, and I, 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 it's slightly bad storytelling, but it's not super because it never, you never really get the impression with any of these that it's like the biggest deal on planet Earth. It's just sort of like, a oh, these two people, and then they resolve it somehow, and you're like, okay, cool, yeah. let's move on. It's so like there's Rocky and Dreams, but then there's like Michelle, Stacy, Mich- you know, and, and Michelle mm-hmm. and Sylvia had like you know some, uh, some, some looks, but it's just like there are certain people it's like, oh... And then it just sort of dissipates. Yeah, there's there's Lisi versus the concept of sanity, which I think is still unresolved to this day. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a what's the other one? The uh, the storyline where Stacy is like the most hated person, and everyone can't wait to not see her again after the season ends. Which we only see the one scene of her with the coffee grounds, and that's really about it. Oh, there's, there's going to be some more fun Stacy to talk about. Not so much in this section, but that. That's the last podcast I do on Fiji. I'm going to point out some more great Stacy moments. All right. So here we go. We're just about to go into the twist. This is where the season is really going to get going. Again, Rabu's just in a downward spiral. Dreams is, he doesn't feel like he's fitting in on Moto. So he and Cassandra are threatening to uh, flip sides once they get to the twist, once they get to the merge. And here we go into episode six, which could uh, best be described as the downfall of poor Anthony. Well... I mean, downfall, yes, but I've got a lot to say about Anthony. I think we're going to talk a little bit about Anthony because this is uh, swan song's not the right word. <laughs> it's a very Anthony episode, and I think that there, you know, he brings up a lot of interesting sort of questions and dialogue going on. But yeah, uh, poor Anthony. It's it's all going to it's all not going to work out well for him. But, but it's basically just due to the twist that's about to come up. It's not a swan song. It's more like a pigeon song, bro. That guy ain't no swan. Look, you need to stop yeah, using voice. <laughs> yeah, a twist that's going to be great for Anthony is schoolyard pick him for uh, what tribe to be on. This is just going to really boost exactly, you know, yeah, Anthony's the guy uh, self-confidence. Got, yeah, the guy who got said he got picked on in high school, they bring him in and say, okay, everyone's going to pick each other like they did in the schoolyard and see what happens. And, oh, guess, guess what? Anthony gets picked last. Or he doesn't even get picked. He's a default pick for Robin. <laughs> right, yes. right. All right, so here we go. We had the big blowout in the last episode where uh, uh, Rocky kind of went off on Anthony, and here we go. It's episode six. We start, and uh, they go to reward challenge, and surprise, this is going to turn out to be the big twist. They're going to switch tribes. If they have a schoolyard yes, pick, and, and you could tell that there was not a story here because they basically said, you know, we're going to we're gonna yard pick, and then you're going to choose people from opposite tribes, and, you know, it's going to be this whole mix-up sort of thing, and then they said that, Earl and Edgardo, so Earl from Ravu and Edgardo from Moto, they volunteered or something to be the people to start the schoolyard pick. And you could just tell that, like, maybe they had some sort of gimmick or twist or something, and it just wasn't that interesting. And so they just completely <laughs> gloss over it. They're like, so, uh, yeah, Earl and Edgardo, just go. 
Well, the and the interesting thing is, you said Jay that there's not a story there, but there is one behind the scenes. So I mean, we can if we want to talk about the picks, we can. But uh, the new Rabu ends up being Edgardo, Mookie, Alex, Rocky, Dreams, and Anthony. And the new Moto is Earl, Boo, Michelle, Cassandra, Yao Man, and Stacy. And if you go back to the first podcast we did where I talked about that hidden Explorers versus Builders alliance, even though Sylvia kind of separating things out fairly evenly, you'll find that the Moto tribe is overwhelmingly Builders and the Rabu tribe is overwhelmingly Explorers. So even though Sylvia tried to divide those alliances, when you have to pick somebody from the other tribe, they kept picking the people that they allied with on the first day. So now it's pretty much become one alliance versus the other with a couple of exceptions. Yeah, the one thing that I remember about this pick is that, you know, they make a big deal when Rocky's there and then Rocky picks Dreams. And then, like the dramatic music starts and Probe says to call it out. And it's it's just funny rewatching the season, like what a big plot point that was at this point. Oh, Rocky and Dreams are teamed up now, which if you have if if you asked a person about Survivor Fiji, if they haven't seen it in the last couple of years, do you remember the big storylines? I'm guaranteeing nobody would say, oh, Rocky versus Dreams. That was the big rivalry. So it's just funny how it gets built up in this episode here. It's the biggest rivalry thus far. Teams up. <laughs> yeah, so basically we have a tribe of all Braun plus Anthony and then everybody in the other tribe. And then, although Lisi takes her, uh, the fact that Lisi is not picked, she takes it surprisingly well. <laughs> right, she goes so, so well with this. But before we, we say that, I just want to make one note that uh, Michelle picks Cassandra over Stacy. So Stacy must be pretty horrible. It's <laughs> a good point, considering everybody hated Cassandra. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love the, the scene that, that you just alluded to with uh, Lisi gets left behind. It's one of the oddest scenes in the game, and I think it just really gives you an insight into what a whack job Lisi is. Because Jeff Probst comes on and says, you know, Lisi, never good to be the odd person out. You are, however, still in the game. So you're expecting to be like, oh, yes. And she goes, oh, jeez. <laughs> and then he says, were you worried? No, I thought this would be, I'm out. Now would be a good time to exit. And he says, well, I guess you just told these guys that you're fine going home. And she responds with, all I'm saying that I wouldn't mind saying, you know, okay, guys, uh, go do your business. Is she like asking them to go take a Cecilia? What does that mean? Yeah, I was going to say she was probably listening in on the uh, conversation between Bruce and the Australian doctor and decided to copy the medical jargon. Very important to do your business. I was trying to write down all the stuff that Lisi and Probe say and try to, how am I going to explain this on historians? But there's no way to explain this conversation and make it make sense because it's almost like she doesn't actually understand what Probst is saying to her. So it's, right. it's, a kind of, it's, it's almost impossible to say. It's like in the big picture, it's, yeah, Probst tells Lisi she's still in the game and she gets mad because she's still in the game and then she gets mad because she doesn't want to quit. I'm like, what the hell is she saying? No, okay. Jeff has a few couple ziggers at the end oh, because yeah. he says, um, you know, um, well, for the time being, you're still in the game. And you go back to, thanks, Jeff. He says, you'll be going to Island. Oh, geez, thanks. That's just great. That's just great. And then he says, so maybe a little time on Exile will straighten out your head. You'll come back wanting to play. The good news, Lisi, whether you think so or not, you won't be going to Tribal Council, which means you can't be voted out. And he pr- proceeds to say that there's another clue for the hidden immunity idol. Perhaps you'll find it, won't want it, give it to someone who does. Shot of everyone else laughing. <laughs> yeah, my wife was just kind of listening to this episode in the background. She's like, wow, Probst was snarky in that episode. And he really is. He's just taking digs at Lisi. Yeah, well, yeah, this is it, the first time he's, he's been able to bitch at a quitter since Austin, so I think he's yeah. been able to relish the opportunity. Well, we had Janu who quit, you know, that yeah, he but he, I mean, and, 
And there was that argument of like, did Probst let her quit? But I feel like he, this is the most vitriol he spewed at someone who want, would possibly want to quit the game since Austin. Right. I have, I have two thoughts on this scene. First of all, one, lol at Jeff Probst still like we're still in the era where Jeff Probst is like getting mad at people for quitting, you know, because because nowadays, you know, people quit and just like, hey, look, we got a quitter. All right. New season. And like, but, you know, he's still like super pissed. But like, I, I sort of see not not that I'm trying to defend Lisi in any way, really. And I don't know that you could completely go. But I think that this is another sense of. I think Lisi just thought that when she wasn't picked, she was just out. And I, I, I'm not going to say that she was like super good one way or another with it. I'm, I'm not saying that she totally wanted to quit, but I think she was just kind of like, well, there goes my game. And then also the fact that there's a tribe switch and the alliances are shifting. I think she just was all screwed up in the head. And then I think that you're right, Mike or, or Mario, whichever one of you said it, like, I think she was just sort of thinking she was going home and then Jeff's talking to her and she's not like processing his words. Yeah. So it's sort of like one of that. It's like when Rafe gets the ham sandwich uh, reward on that on that reward in Guatemala where Judd picked everyone's meals. Where Rafe's like, you know what? This is fine. This this ham sandwich is fine. I would have chosen this anyway. This this is totally what I wanted. And I think Lisi was just like, yeah, it's fine. I'm out. It's fine. It's fine. It's it's totally fine. It's what I wanted. And it's like it may or may not have been what she was wanting, but like she was just saying it, and I don't think she was processing because you could see on Exile on she was just kind of like, what the hell did I do? So that is the first time I've ever heard Lisi compared to Rafe, which is in, in, impressive. Although the second thing I'm taking from that is that you're saying that all gingers are insane. <laughs> well, Lisi, like Rafe, likes to be surrounded by guys. So I feel like there's some similarities there, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of wanting to be surrounded by guys, we're going to get to Anthony, who is not excited to be surrounded by guys. Yeah, this is where they uh, they pick their beaches. Who's going to live on which one? And uh, which which can I say this? Like for okay, so it's like we're kind of moving away from the twist a little bit, and the fact that we're going to mix people up and we're going to have a tribe of a bunch of kind of douchey guys, so we don't care if they lose a, a bunch more times. But seriously, a buff draw for this? Like we're not going to actually have a competition for this? Like this, you're pretty much like choosing. If you pulled a buff, your tribe is going to go to the next three tribal councils, and we do a a buff draw. I was a little annoyed by that. Well, again, I, I will defend the people that don't like Fiji because there are a lot of things in here that are just unfair or dumb or don't make sense. And we're not even getting into the Michelle twist that's coming up later in this podcast. But so I can I can see why people say they don't like this season for the fairness reasons. There are things like that that just don't make any sense. Plus, you would say that of all possible permutations of groups that could possibly be on Ravu that would maybe beat moto in some sort of capacity it would probably be this group of guys and they actually come pretty close in a few of these challenges including the one that comes up in this episode to beating moto and that's by far the closest Ravu ever gets to winning a challenge and they actually end up doing one in the next episode so i would consider this the most successful possible iteration of Ravu there ever is yeah, and on paper again, Ravu should have been a really good tribe. In fact, when I when I first saw the the breakdowns of, of who's on which tribe, it kind of reminded me of Marquesas a little bit. Like, well, look, they have all the big athletes and everything against like everyone else against Pascal and the girls. Like, that's what it kind of seems like at, at first glance. I'm like, well, this is kind of a little Marquesas underdog story here, but it ends up not being that way at all because of the uh, the advantages that Moto gets at their camp. So what you're trying to say is that Ravu is athletic. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're a love tribe yeah that's it, it's how it goes but yeah they they get back to the uh to the beach and you can see there's some nice uh sort of 
energy being injected into Ravu, like like Mike's point with the this is probably the most successful Ravu iteration that there is in this game, because you see them, they go out and they catch some crabs under, you know, sort of Alex's leadership, and then you could see them like using the crabs and they actually catch some fish, which, you know, I look. You you go over to Ravu at the beginning of the game and you know that Moto's got all the stuff and they you know they they found pineapple at some point. I found the lemon tree. They were starving and didn't have water and they were like licking bamboo leaves or uh, other frond leaves for water and all that sort of stuff. But it's like Alex and Edgardo and company, or sorry, just yeah, they they get over there to Ravu and they have like fish within a couple of hours. It seems so not too bad on that front. But yeah. uh, you know, notice yeah. that all the guys went out there. But they left Anthony at home. <laughs> did Ra- did did they? The producers finally throw Robert a bone and gave them one of three Moto's fishing kits at this point, so they could finally <laughs> fish in those waters. <laughs> yeah, how did they get it? I don't know. I bet they did, did they give, give it. Them? Maybe they did. Maybe, Maybe they had some welcome basket, but it didn't really matter what supplies they had. They had some great quotes of you know from Count of Monte Cristo from Alex. Yeah, to Alex. Really, uh, pump everyone up. Alex has an interesting edit here. It's. It'll go up and down again as it has been doing. But yeah, he gets a very positive quote here about the County Monte Cristo and how we all have to stay together and stuff. And again, yeah, Ravu's actually getting a fairly positive edit here. And then you get a good El Ducho quote in there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we won't get laid for a freaking year. (laughs) Which I don't understand. Like, why do you infer that quoting literature is leads to you not having sex? I feel like that's sort of opposite logic going on. Well, what I like is that Alex is like, Alex is what, Harvard Harvard student, you know, like yeah. super smart guy. And, and I don't know if it was a relatable and I get that there's things going, but he's like, there's a scene from the beginning of the movie of the Count of Monte Cristo. And I'm like, for a guy who's a Harvard grad, I would have him say him, him like actually quoting the book. <laughs> right. Yeah. You went to the movie. You know, you like you went to the movie, like, I guess maybe you were trying to relate to, you know, Rocky and all that sort of stuff. But I was like sitting there going like. You're you're gonna quote the Count of Monte Cristo movie, <laughs> and I feel like we'd be remiss to not quote Rocky here when you know the guys have really started to bro down again, as Jay said, with the exception of Anthony and, and Rocky. Rocky's gonna have this really interesting uh, sort of quote association this episode, where he's going to probably say misogynist things, but try to play him off as no offense at the end of every statement he makes. So this one, he's like, you know, I'm just excited to be eating and hanging out with some of the boys. You know, no offense. I love women. I love them. I love to to touch them and make out with them and, you know, have conversations with them. We, we get along well. And I just love how over the course of one sentence, Rocky is able to be misogynist, then feminist, then misogynist all in one go. What well, I, I love like, is that is that you, you throw the conversations at the end. Like, he's like, I love women. I love to touch them and make out with them and then have conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just love that, you know, the, the, if you go back to the basic premise of Survivor, it's throwing people together in an environment of people from different backgrounds that wouldn't normally interact. And I just love the dichotomy of going from Alex to Rocky in the scene where they're basically saying the same things. And Alex, like, well, you know, sometimes with women on the tribe, you get politics. And without that uh, influence here, it might work a little better, which is a very logical way of saying it. And then Rocky will say basically the same thing. He's like, yeah, we, we don't have... We don't have one no stupid girl stuff to distract us here, which they're basically making the same arguments, just in two different, very different ways of saying it. Yeah, we don't want no lip gloss stories or about stories about how you need Drew Carey in the balls. That's girl stuff, bro. Yeah, this is ideal. That's Rocky's quote right there. Rocky also says about the, over the next two episodes, he basically says uh, the phrase, it's over, bro, like a million times. <laughs> yes, just to different that. things. And this is where they catch the fish and they cook the fish and they give Rocky a bite of the fish. 
And he takes one bite and goes, it's over, bro. Well, speaking of what's over, should we talk about Anthony getting left out here? We will, but I was just going to say, if they don't put it's over, bro, on Rocky's tombstone when he dies, then somebody wasn't paying attention. Yeah, so let's go to Anthony. Poor, poor Anthony. <laughs> every, <laughs> shot, every shot of Anthony is him rolling his eyes. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, uh, a little aside, I was, um, I was at work the other day, and they made an announcement over the, the speaker. At, I work at a school, and they came across over the speaker, and they said, Anthony Robinson to the main office, please. Anthony Robinson. Um, maybe he was in, in gym class and being really embarrassed. <laughs> well, he's, he's an expert witness locator. Maybe he was looking for an expert witness in the school to bring on the stand. <laughs> yeah, 21 could be. Jump Street? I mean, maybe they should have called down um, Cookie. Maybe that would have uh, <laughs> caught his attention quicker. <laughs> yeah, I so have yeah. A, I, have, I have a weird issue always because he, he describes himself that way like two or three times in this episode where he's like, they just left old Cookie back at the camp, which of course, you know, that, that dredges up the image of like the old wagon trails right with the with the cook you know cookie like with the with the cooking wagon you know and you leave him and you go out and forage but it's like they're not doing much cooking over there at ravu so he's just like they left cookie at the camp i'm like are you cooking or are you just sitting in the cave no yeah he's watching he's like (laughs) they left old watchy back here to watch (laughs) (laughs) exactly here (laughs) <laughs> old looky like you see him doing um you see him doing chores like you do see him boiling water and filling canteens and you see him tending the fire i'm not saying that he's doing absolutely nothing but i'm like i don't think you're cooking though like you're you're staying around camp which then begs the question did they just leave you and you didn't say anything and you just assumed and stayed behind or did you literally just say well i guess i'll stay behind then like that was never really implied or showed in everything like that it was just you saw the guys go off and then you saw anthony say well they left me here i'm here and it's like did they leave you or did you not fight or did you not go or did they not ask you like well that's the thing yeah i mean the 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 editing totally throws ravu under the bus like they're all just being a bunch of dicks to him but like we don't actually see why he's back there there it's very possible that he could have said that well i'll just stay back here and maybe he just didn't volunteer to go so there's no way to know other than the show just kind of beating you over the head that you know anthony's getting bullied and everyone's horrible to him but again there's no you never actually see that i mean you don't see rocky like yeah we're, we're gonna leave old watchy back there to watch things at the camp I think yeah, I think actually this first iteration there is a scene where they're like Rocky's like okay well I'm gonna go off fishing and Anthony will stay behind but like again I'm I'm gonna you know spoil my my sort of opinion on this episode by saying that I think in the Rocky versus Anthony debate it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B in that I do agree that you know Rocky is definitely not in the right here but Anthony could also especially especially use this new opportunity with people he hasn't really talked to before to speak up and sort of make a new name for himself i mean he has to he's on dire straits he even says here that he's screwed so i feel like this could have been even though rocky said okay you're gonna stay here this could have been a key moment for anthony to at least maybe vocalize his opinion a tiny bit considering that these are he's in a new situation with a bunch of people now well yeah and again he he says well you know i'm a nerd i'm a geek i don't fit in like there have been lots of nerds and geeks on survivor like it's not an imperative for you not to be a nerd to be part of the group in Survivor. I mean, look at Cochran. Cochran fit in pretty well with, pretty, with people for the most part. It's like, so I would totally agree with you that, yeah, it's like, he, admittedly, he doesn't have a lot in common with people, but that's kind of the point of Survivor. You're not supposed to have everything in common with everyone around you. That's the point of the game. Is they're throwing people together who aren't in, uh, similar. This is a prime moment. Those of you who are like trying to watch old seasons and figure out what to do or what's to play, what's the strategy, what's the thing, 
I think that this is a moment where it seems like Anthony has one of two options that he could go into here. He either needs to blend into the tribe somehow, which they're not. They're Basically, he's on the outs. They, they don't really like him. They don't gel with him. They don't really want to hang with him. They're probably going to vote him out, and he knows it, and they know it. So he either needs to demonstrate some sort of skill or worth that will make them change their mind, or he basically just needs to start stir up some shit. He basically just needs to cause some sort of ruckus or fight, you know, and that could have been, you know, insisting to go along and then going along and causing a fight. And maybe, you know, that just makes everyone even more resolved and hate him and vote him out. But it's like he just sort of played the I'm just going to passively sit at camp and do just normal uh, tasks. And it's like that's not the play here. He's got to do something. And I'm not saying he has to you have to vocalize and stand up for yourself, but he has to do something and he chose nothing. So that's that that's his path for the rest of this episode. The thing I was going like- to comment on, I remember in uh, Mark Burnett's book about the first season, Borneo, he talks, he very, he describes Colleen Haskell, very similar to what we see from Anthony here, that basically the first day of the game in Borneo, Colleen didn't have anything in common with anyone. So she went down to the beach and just sat there. She wouldn't talk to anyone. She didn't know what to do. And basically she just did nothing until somebody took pity on her and came down and talked to her. And that's when she kind of got integrated into the tribe. So yeah, it's, it's very similar. It's like, you're, you're, you're not really helping yourself if you just sit there and do nothing. Either they'll take pity on you and do something, or they'll just go off and make fun of you, which is apparently what happens in this case. Damn, Anthony needed a cute bikini. <laughs> I feel like this is the perfect segue into Boo's situation here on, on New Moto. And, and New Moto is going to be a particularly like strategy-heavy tribe, I feel like, as compared to Rabu, which is probably a little more character-focused, even though they do have some strategy moments as well with the formation of the four horsemen. And in Moto's case, they sort of point out that actually on both tribes, it's three versus three in terms of old Rabu versus old Boo's in a pretty good spot. He was in the majority alliance on old Moto, and he felt like he was... He said he had, you know, he had his million insights, and now there's a few roadblocks, and he's going to try to swing over Michelle. And I mean, this is... I mean, this is a fantastic episode for Earl. If if you if you buy into this whole like winners edit thing, there are no helicopter shops within this episode. But still, he has these quotes about like how everything's fallen into my lap and they have to go through me. Uh, he becomes the big mastermind really in this episode. He talks about bringing over Cassandra and how he basically has Yao Man and Michelle in his pocket. Yeah, this actually might be the only episode all season without an Earl helicopter shot. So that for trivia purposes, Earl over here, it's. This is sort of the, you know, we all like Earl, I think. I think we're all Earl fans, and I know that there are a lot of Earl fans and uh, out there and, and people who've written in, and I'm not going to badmouth Earl. Earl is not the most gripping of television, but I think what I enjoyed about Earl, especially in these, like, six to ten episodes, uh, episodes six through ten that, that we watched for uh, this podcast, is that he himself is not outwardly dynamic as far as a personality goes, but... He's unlike perhaps even Yule from the previous season or something like that. There's an everyman quality to Earl. Not that he is all of our everyman. Like, you know, he's he's got a lot of things going for him. But he's ta- everything he says, it's very relatable. And I think that when people watch Survivor, I think that the, the, the people that they gravitate to, you know, there are people, Mario always likes, you know, just characters. And, you know, they can be people not necessarily like Mario. But a lot of people watch the show and they find the person that they feel is most like them and that's someone that they relate to but also i think that people look for the character that they would want to be in that show or sort of has a quality that they sort of gravitate to and earl here is just he comes into this new tribe and he's just very calmly 
assessing all of the situation and talking about all these sorts of alliances and groupings and things he needs to do and it's all very kind of slow and you can sort of see everything that he's plotting and talking about and they're very uh, for lack of a better word they're very welcoming scenes that Earl sort of narrates that you can sort of get into it and really sort of see his thought process and what's going on through his eyes yeah well said yeah he's yeah, he's a, just a very good narrator, and he points stuff out. And again, this is where we see that the whole subplot from last episode, where Dreams and Cassandra were gonna were gonna turn on the Motos. We start seeing that pay off a little bit here, where Cassandra and Earl start bonding, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm a free agent. I would love to hook up with you." So it's it's <laughs> we're gonna see this become very important now. Also, stick a pin in the whole boo. Well, there goes my million because uh, uh, that's going to be important and a point I want to make later. So what else is going on here in this episode? I believe uh, Mike alluded to it earlier. This is where we see the formation of the Four Horsemen for the first time. Although they don't necessarily call themselves the Horsemen for a couple more episodes. But this is where we see on Ravu, Alex, Mookie, Edgardo, and Dreams kind of start talking like they're kind of of like mind. They kind of have the same strategy. They're going to become a thing here. Yeah, it starts to re- rear its head here, too. And Rocky is included, but he's sort of parallel because you do get some good Edgardo confessionals uh, in the next episode and two where they're basically like, yeah, Rocky is sort of out of his damn mind. And it's like they're going with him because, you know, Anthony's sort of an easy target at this point. But you can see the fact that they uh, it, it's sort of those four guys are sort of sort of form a core here at starting with this episode. Yep, absolutely. It's. Yep, and what is the exact quote from Mookie? Again, people think that Rocky's the only one saying bad stuff about Anthony, but Mookie has one here that he says something like, uh, we don't want Anthony because he has no backbone and he cries. So apparently it's not just Rocky. Um, And then uh, the other thing that happens around this time at the other camp is we get, I think, our first extended Cassandra mm -hmm, mm -hmm scene. I think maybe four four times maybe this conversation with Earl and Yao Man. Yeah, I think there's going to be a conversation coming up in a couple episodes where it's literally just her mm-hmm the entire time. And I know Survivor does a lot of ADR and bringing in snippets from other uh, confessionals or other scenes. And I could just imagine the editors just being like, okay, let's have the Cassandra soundboard going. And let's just put as many mm-hms in this scene as we can to make it feel like yeah. she's reciprocating some sort of verification to Earl. So what do you think there were more of? The editors inserting the mm-hmm into this scene or Tim putting I found a lemon tree in the last episode? He was He was quite liberal with that, I noticed. I found the lemon tree. Yeah, I guess those that are following along by watching the season as we are will have to keep track of, you know, mm-hmms versus lemon trees. <laughs> I found the lemon tree. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know, I don't give him enough credit. Our editor, Tim Allen, he does a great job. I, I, I'm always supposed to thank him at the end of every episode, but he's the one I'm talking about. He does our special effects. So anytime there's an I found a lemon tree in there, and you would think he's been, it's been in the episodes way too much. That's just Tim just going power crazy. I found the lemon tree. I found the lemon tree. I found the lemon tree. So let's go to a challenge, eh? <laughs> yes. What a weird a fun challenge. challenge, too. I think it's fun. I think they never do anything like this again. But anytime they come up with a challenge, it's like super unique and like fun to watch. I'm all down for. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I think that Cook Islands, we talked about how it, we started to see really the oversaturation of the do something physical and then solve a puzzle challenge. And we, you know, we we didn't we kind of debated whether or not that was chalked up to the mutiny, but it seemed to become sort of a form that Survivor even uses today. And this is Fiji's. We're talking about Survivor as an experimental time around this time period, and Fiji is a 
prime example of it in terms of challenges. We're going to have this. We're going to have like the battleship challenge coming up in a few episodes. Like I feel like this is the time where they said, okay, let's just start throwing stuff at the wall and see what happens to stick. And the one challenge that will stick will be that chimney sweep challenge that we'll talk about in a few episodes. <laughs> I, I, I love these challenges, actually, just within this. These are some great challenges. I wish they did stuff like this today. Well, yeah, this was nice because it kind of negated this big strength advantage that Ravu had, which if you haven't seen this episode in a while, this is the one where they belt everyone into this big hub with all these big long poles and sticks and they have to work their way through a bunch of obstacles. And it's also the one where basically towards the end of the challenges, it's just everyone banging into Michelle, which is, if you know a lot about the season, that's kind of a horrible <laughs> joke. <laughs> but, but yeah, well, then, everyone crashes then, into Michelle's j- challenge. It also uh, upgrades uh, Cassandra's mm-hmms to a ah. Yeah, that's part of the soundboard too. <laughs> yeah, you want to make sure you want to make sure you watch this challenge and not just listen to it because it sounds pretty dirty once they you know they belt everyone up and and all the noises start happening. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little conf- I'm I'm confused though as to like so they and they're the big uh, gimmick of this challenge is that they're doing crisscross paths. So as as you know. Mario said there's a bit there's just a lot of havoc specifically at the end when everyone's just you know like two battering rams but giant battering rams with you know 14 people in there but it's it confuses me just because like they're in a fracas in the middle and then suddenly they aren't and I just don't know logistically how they're able to separate themselves and move on especially at one point like Michelle climbs over Ravu I think and is it literally stuck in the middle of them like how do you escape that and is it and are able to move your hub forward yeah I like Jeff has no sympathy whatsoever you're gonna have to work it out Someone will be crushed and killed. You're going to have to work it out. It was... What's funny is that I think this is a a, a tip to the editors as well because this challenge, I think, is actually pretty boring in in a lot of ways in the sense that it was pretty even the whole way. And it seems like... I think that Numoto basically had a slight lead or through most of the challenge, and then using their slight lead, if you notice, very slowly and painfully. And then when they get to the other side, it seemed like Moto would have a little bit of a lead, and then Michelle would block the way, and then they would have a log jam, and they did this like four or five times, and they just kind of get to the very end, and then Moto wins by a little bit. Yeah, it's, and, it's you know, very it confusing. Was, yeah. It was very confusing, but it seems like when you sort of break it down, it was very straightforward. Moto had a very slight lead through the whole challenge, and then won very slightly. And yet it was pretty exciting. Like I remember watching it and I was like, actually, you know, when they were getting to the end with the music swelling and they were like trying to shift around and make it their way to the end, I was sort of like not edge of my seat, but I sat up and was paying attention like, wow, look at this. This is this is exciting stuff. And Moto wins. And I was like, that was that was a fun challenge all the way around. And then when I sort of set the thought about it, I was like, it's actually a boring challenge. And yet I was entertained. Absolutely. Thank you, editors. Yeah, so Moto wins. It's the big. Uh, it's kind of an upset because the less athletic tribe beats the athletic tribe. But then again, it's Moto beating Rabu, so it's not really an upset. So yes, Moto wins, and uh, Anthony is in deep shit now. Before we talk about um, Anthony being in deep Cecilia, um, there's a really funny line from Yao Man as this, as it cuts out. You think the whole scene is done, and then it cuts to Yao Man very quickly carrying the flag for the tribe and says, "I got strengths again now to carry the flag." Great Yao Man quote. I found the lemon tree. I was gonna say actually a, a pretty uh, a pretty quiet episode for Yao Man here. Next episode is gonna be his big idol find, but uh, Yao Man for being a big character in the first uh, bunch of episodes is surprisingly quiet here. I guess to make way for Earl and his mastermind edit. You know, I noticed that too, Mike. But when I was watching it this past times, I've noticed that in this episode and then upcoming um, episodes, 
even when he's not um, heavily featured, they try like to find these little moments to squeeze him in. He actually had one of the opening confessionals from the episode. Where he, there's a very short confessional where he talks about how he's surprised he's still in the game because he blew the challenge the episode before and he sees himself as the most dispensable person in the tribe. So it's stuff that you, he doesn't really stick out at all, but you can see how much the editors really like to embed him into the show as much as possible. I found the lemon tree. Just wait until the rise of Yao Man in the next couple episodes, though. Science! <laughs> not only that but i always i also notice that they throw and it's i think it's probably because the editors are having fun and also because yao man seems to be very open for that soundbite but there's all these sorts of things and, and especially in the upcoming episodes where yao man really shines and challenges and other things like that but we've already seen it there was that one challenge the uh, the sumo challenge where they you know battering rammed you know and he but he beat michelle or stacy or Stacey. one of those he beat stacy in the challenge and it's like we already had the shots of them going like, aha, Yao Man, and then Yao Man wins the challenge, and you see everyone sort of impressed. But then Yao Man has to say like, yeah, I beat the girl at the very end. And it's like, Yao Man always kind of throws in like an extra line. So like just this, I've got strength now to carry the flag. It's just, there's all these sort of, Yao Man has this scene, and it's just impressive in and of itself. Like, hey, Yao Man does this thing, and then they have him have some sort of soundbite at the end. And it's like, it almost seems sort of tacked on. But yet he's providing the soundbite, so it isn't tacked on. It's just a very interesting thing that, you know, Yao Man does something amazing and then has a one-liner and then it's done. <laughs> yeah, uh, Yao Man's sort of like the Ralph Wiggum uh, of Fiji almost in that, like, every scene is usually capped off by a random one-liner and it's almost an instant classic every time. He's the Henny Youngman of Survivor. Wow. Henny I have Youngman. no idea what you guys are talking about, but okay. try, go, people, way over people the your age don't know that reference, Mario. <laughs> Jesus. I like to mix it up. I spread the references out. Some for the old viewers, some for the, the young viewers. I hope those old viewers are falling down right now. There's, there's like, there's, there, there's 70 year olds listening to this podcast going, who the hell is Henny Youngman? Jesus. I can't Mario. wait for, I can't wait for the, the, the Kaiser Wilhelm comparison that I'm assuming is coming up later on. <laughs> You know, what's funny, Paul, is if old people were listening to this podcast and falling down, you would know every single sound they made along the way. Well, you know, they should have a podcast in their ears, so while they're lying on the ground waiting to get back up, they have something to listen to and laugh at. That's right. Mm-hmm. Survivor historians, we will keep you company until 911 gets there. We we're pair the very well alert. with the life alert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've fallen, and I found a lemon tree. <laughs> I found a lemon tree. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jay's just going to keep doing that until we acknowledge him. Thank you for the mmms, Jay. I don't need acknowledgement. I'm Cassandra. Let's do this. I mean, yeah, now that Sylvia's out, I mean, Cassandra has to like fill the void as of a uh, old woman in the show. She doesn't fall down, but she does scream loudly in the challenge when she gets smacked with a pole. So I'll take it. So anyway, do we need to build up here, or can we just go to Tribal Council? I mean, well, there's, we got there's, some, there's, yeah. let's talk about Anthony's death march here. Well, there's Anthony's death march <laughs> Please, here. Please, he hasn't you know, been through enough already. Let's try this <laughs> yeah, out even screw more. screw you, Anthony. Let's pile on. Yeah, it's, it's bad because, you know, they do the usual, like, survivor decoy boot here where they're like, well, actually, Rocky's pretty annoying. And it shows him, like, arguing with Mookie for no good reason. But then and Carter's like, well, you know, Anthony's his little bitch. Uh, and so it's just going right. They couldn't even, you know, the editors couldn't even give us a little bit of sympathy points for Anthony. They immediately go back to shitting on him right before we go to tribal council. Well, and then they make us sit through the awkward Anthony giving his impression again as being cookie. I'm cookie shitting right by the campfire. It's like, oh, my God, just vote him out. Vote him out. Vote him out. He's the black male Cinderella. That's what he says. Exactly. That was my next thing I have written down. <laughs> That's the, that's, a new, that's the new Tyler Perry movie, right? <laughs> yes. In the words of Lisi, now would be a good time for him to exit. 
Man, we're going to get accused of bullying now. This is horrible. We love you, well, Anthony. Speaking, speaking, of a, speaking of accused of bullying, let's talk about the Tribal Council then and Jeff Probst and Anthony and Rocky at this Tribal Council. This is interesting to me. Like, it, It's not interesting in the sense that you know Anthony's going home. They go to Tribal Council. There's no surprise here. But it's just it's an interesting study into humanity here. I, I totally agree, but I cannot possibly go to Tribal Council without talking about Rocky's quote right before Tribal Council. Do again, it. Okay, yeah. everyone hates Rocky. Uh, I, I will totally be uh, admit I love Rocky as a character, and people misinterpret that thinking that I like him. Like, I think he's a great guy or anything. Like, no, I just like that he's on Survivor. I, I totally can detach myself from that. I enjoy things about Rocky. But there's one quote here that makes me laugh every time I hear it, and it's for people who think he was only horrible. Uh, this is the quote where uh, Rocky, right before they're about to go out and vote out Anthony, Rocky says, do I get along with Anthony? Well, yeah, we had a few good times. Then we... Uh, Nah, not really. <laughs> I just love the way he says it. It's very blunt, and it's again, it's just Rocky has a very blunt Boston sense of humor, which I'm going to talk more about later. But it's just it's one of the few times Rocky is actually funny in the season. So this tribal council, I, I think I talked about last episode how I had a really negative association with it, and I'm assuming a lot of people did too the first time they watched Fiji because you could see from a perspective where it does look like Rocky is really bullying Anthony. However, I'll admit coming into this and watching this, I I sort of did almost a 180 here in that it's, uh, from what I'm perceiving now, it's not necessarily Rocky bullying Anthony as much as Rocky really thinks he's giving Anthony good life advice. Yeah. And if you look at it from that perspective, I feel like it looks a lot better in terms of the ugliness of everything. And I could not stop laughing at this tribal council just at the thought of like, Rocky really thinks he's inspiring Anthony here <laughs> to go out and do better things with his life, with his horrible advice, which Rocky's advice to Anthony is basically, be like me. <laughs> that's that's what you have to do to succeed in life is be like who I am. Yeah. And the the one thing I've noticed about Fiji over the years is a lot of people get up to the Rocky and Anthony stuff and they just cannot watch the season after that. It's absolutely a deal breaker for them, which I understand it's it's I'm not going to use the word triggering because I hate the word triggering, but I understand it brings up a lot of painful memories and stuff for people who have not been accepted in the world and stuff like that. But yeah, the the one thing that strikes me when I'm watching the scene is that Rocky isn't he doesn't think he's being mean. And to me, I think there's a difference there. He's not being malicious and piling on a guy when he's down. He acts like you said, he thinks he's giving him advice. Now, whether you agree with the advice or think it's stupid, that's a whole different argument. But I don't think he's actually being malicious here. And that's why I don't think this scene is as bad as people think it is. It is and it isn't. I, I, what struck me more about the scene is Jeff Probst in it yes. more than anything else. It, it's not necessarily Rocky. Rocky is is sort of as you said being rocky he's just sort of brushing off anthony and basically saying anthony need to man up and not be a girl which you know is terrible in and of itself but you know this this is par for the course for rocky so there is that but it, it's jeff sort of joining in that like it again it, it's not like it brought up bad memories for me but it was just it was really interesting to just see that anthony was completely by himself out there because not only did he have basically the whole tribe against him or not sticking up for him, he also had Jeff Probst needling him as well. Yeah, and that's something that people don't remember if they haven't seen this scene in a while. And admittedly, it's not a scene you're gonna you want to watch over and over again because it's not a fun scene. But yeah, Rocky's saying this mean stuff to Anthony, man up, do all this stuff. You got to you got to step up. You got to be more of a man out here. And Probst is absolutely agreeing with Rocky. He's like, why is this so hard for you, Anthony? Why are you being so spineless? So that's the thing. It's not just Rocky. It's kind of everyone against Anthony. Some well, things I want to point out. Oh, yeah, you, 
No, you point out. I'll, I'll make my my comment after you point some things out. The great Jay Fisher, go. No, 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 Paul. I've I've got a long time here. You go, man. Okay, actually, because mine's, just mine's short. Yeah. I'll just jump in. Why is this so hard for you to talk, Paul? Like, I had to look like because just the way like that Rocky talks to Anthony and stuff. You're thinking like he's like this older figure that's trying to help this young kid out to grow up and stuff. And then so I looked up. I'm like, wait, how old are these two guys? So you look up Rocky. I look him up. He's 28 years old. I'm like, okay, I wonder how old Anthony. Anthony's 32. <laughs> Anthony is four years older than Rocky, which makes Age his whole is just thing a number, even more bro. horrible. Oh, gosh. So go ahead, Jay. Wow, I didn't even realize that. That, that changes <laughs> things a little bit. Isn't that crazy? Maybe Rocky had a point then. Well, he, ultimately, as we know, and the, and the thing about it is that, yes, I think the main thing here is that, you know, they're basically sort of shitting on Anthony. And you know, Anthony's like, look, I can't get a word in edgewise and stuff like that. And then Rocky basically takes that and says, well, you need to speak up. You need to, you need to, you know, be a man, grow a pair and speak up. And then Jeff Probst is like, yeah, Anthony, why don't you grow up and, you know, why is it so hard? Why can't you express yourself? And then Anthony sort of like gets mad and starts to talk about his feelings and all that sort of stuff. And then what's great is that Jeff Probst, you just see him sort of just being Jeff Probst. But then you see Rocky. What's funny is that Anthony starts to get, to get mad and get agitated. And he starts to like, say things and say stuff that's on his mind. And then Rocky basically just says, hey, bro, you need to lower your voice. Yes, I wrote <laughs> yeah. my notes in all caps. That that's exactly what you're telling him to do in your stupid life advice, Rocky. It's extremely <laughs> hypocritical. And it's one reason why I absolutely love this tribal council now. It's just, it's yeah. like coach levels of hypocrisy almost. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 they're yelling at Anthony to grow some balls and to say something. And then Anthony grows some balls and says something. And they basically just shut him down immediately and say, all right, you, you need to not be so angry and you need to lower your voice over this sort of thing, bro. And it's like, you know, he's sort of trapped. And in, in, in what, first of all, for the Jeff Probst thing, we didn't necessarily know it at the time for Survivor 14, Survivor Fiji. Um, but, you know, from seeing 20, 30 plus episodes, or seasons of Survivor, you know for the fact that Jeff Probst identifies with, you know, sort of outspoken alpha male types, right? So, you know, the fact that Jeff Probst is sort of citing isn't the right word, but sort of echoing more of the Rocky stance as, as, as opposed to the Anthony stance here just checks out, right? Like, that's just something we know. Jeff Probst does not, you know, he wants, you know, men to be men and to, you know, say things and be, you know, stay alpha, bro, and all that sort of stuff. And so that sort of makes sense. But the other thing is that it's, it seems to me almost, and, and not to bring politics into it, but it's almost like if you have a room full of Republicans and a Democrat comes in there and says something, and it may not even be very Democratic. It could just be something very logical like, hey, I think that we should do this nice thing for people. And the Republicans would be like, typical leftist thinking. Like, it doesn't matter what they say. They're just going to shut you down on site uh, just to turn it around. If you have a room full of Democrats and a conservative comes in and says something logical, they may get shot down. Just say, hey, you typical right wing, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, Anthony's on his own here. He is not the alpha bro and he's amongst all these alpha bros. And it's like, it didn't matter what Anthony was going to do here. He, they literally were just going to negate anything that he did. And it was, it's not necessarily that. It's not the dodgeball target or the fact that Anthony is the geek and they're not. It's just the fact that no one is, is thinking like Anthony. And then they're just going to kind of hang him out to dry no matter what he does. Even when he was doing what they were telling him to do, they're just going to shut him down anyway. Oh, my God. Rocky is Donald Trump in this scenario. And Lisi is Sarah Palin. It all makes sense now. <laughs> That's huge. <laughs> huge. But it, it's, it's, 
you know, and, and that's the whole thing that, that made me uh, really just sort of jumped out at me is that Anthony was going home here because he's not, uh, he's clearly not gelling with his tribe. But it's like Anthony, as you saw, even when he was on a tribe that didn't just include the four horsemen, he couldn't get along with people even then. So it's like Anthony is just not good at Survivor and he's not very good at getting along with people. But he's amongst the four horsemen here and, you know, he's literally just hung out to dry. And the problem is, is that I think that, you know, Rocky and Jeff were sort of saying, stand up for yourself and fight. Fight for yourself, bro. And I mean, at some point, I think Anthony just sort of turns to the camera and says, what what would you have me do? Like, what could I, what could I possibly do to, to, to change any of your minds on anything? And I think that he sort of knew it, which yeah. is, it, it's the sad, it's the sad fact of it all. And, and it's the reason why I don't get so worked up over, you know, all the insane politics of, of, uh, of, of this social encounter, which, which isn't the, the nicest social encounter, but really it's just Anthony's not well liked in general. He gets with a bunch of guys who extremely don't really get along or like him very much. And now they have to vote him out. It's pretty easy and straightforward. Well, it just drives home the fact that Survivor is a harsh game. I mean, it's a really mean-spirited game in general. And this is, I, mean, I see, see the argument with this episode all the time is that, well, Anthony gets on this tribe and they're horrible to him. They exclude him. And I'm like, that's what you're supposed to do on Survivor. Like, okay, there's a six-person tribe. Five people get together and say, yeah, F that guy. Screw him. Like, that's no different than anything else that's, that has ever happened on Survivor. That's just kind of how it goes sometimes. That's, I mean, it sucks, but that's just how it happens. And the one person, and I noted this, not the, not the one person, because no one sticks up for Anthony. I'm not going to say that. But, you know, after a lot of this diatribe where Jeff and Rocky sort of, you know, berate Anthony a little bit and he just sort of does Anthony things. And then Jeff then talks to Alex and basically says, what's up? And Alex is like, I feel bad for the guy. Like, we're just shitting on him. And it's like, it doesn't change his mind, but he's just kind of like, yeah, yep, this isn't good. And it's like it's Alex of all people that that's basically sitting there going like, yeah, this this isn't great, but you know nothing's done. No one's going to say anything. I mean, it's just an easy vote out. It's how it goes. It's Survivor. And with that, we lose Anthony, Cookie Watchy, as we called him, old Watchy, watchy. and so, and so his watch has ended. Wow. Well, yep, again, I didn't even catch that right away. But uh, yeah, and even in his voting comments, I mean, Rocky's not being mean. He's like. Uh, You'll be okay, Anthony. I hope you'll learn from this. Like, he's not being malicious. He's like, yeah, you'll be fine. Even though you're four years older than me. You'll learn. And he's also like, well, you know, when the reunion happens, even Rocky will say, like, I realized how bad I sounded and Anthony and I are good friends now. And even, like, on social media these days, he's still is greatly uh, regretful of the things that he said on TV. As you talked about in the first part, he was going through nicotine withdrawal at this point. So he was... Mm -hmm. He was, you know, foaming at the mouth, ready to say anything. And so to, to show that he was at least able to show some remorse for these remarks, I feel like makes up for it a little bit. Again, it might be uncomfortable to, for some people to watch on TV right now, but the fact that Rocky at least knows it's uncomfortable as well at least mitigates it a tiny bit for me. Yeah, and I, I have something I want to talk about this, but I'll wait until we get our Rocky eulogy here. That I have a friend from Boston, uh, Justin Lesniewski. He's known as JML. I think that's how I pronounce his last name. But we've had long conversations about Rocky over the years because I, I actually kind of defended Rocky on the Funny 115, saying he wasn't that bad. And I was like the only person who had ever defended Rocky ever at that point on, in any writing. And so Justin, Justin's from Boston, too. So we had a long discussion about how people from these working class backgrounds in Boston, like Justin and like... Rocky have a very blunt way of phrasing things and looking at the world that isn't necessarily mean. Justin just said it's it's I call we call it mass holes. That's it's just a a Boston way of thinking of talking to people and being very direct. So we'll talk about this more. That it's it kind of explains a little more why Rocky I don't think is as horrible as people think he is. 
And with that, I think we're about to go into the Rocky Gets Voted Out episode. Which I, I was just going to say, you wanted to get into Rocky eulogy? Let's go. All right, well, I'll wait till the end of the episode. But yeah, so I know you guys are big fans of this episode. We've been... We've been writing emails to each other all week, talking about how we're gonna, what we're gonna record and what we're gonna talk about. And I know Jay has just been chomping at the bit to uh, talk about this Rocky blindside. Yeah, not really, but I, I want to talk about just the stretch of episodes because I think when we were writing, it was just the the fact that this this season is so good. I, I I can't even just describe it. I mean, and this episode has got just a lot of really good stuff in it and a lot of good scenes. And it has stuff that I don't necessarily love, and yet I'm watching the, the episode and I'm enjoying it. And it starts really with, um, well, it starts with Lisey, so I guess we have to go with Lisey. But <laughs> yes, and I'll yeah, jump in Getting here. sticky. But, but, we even, but we have an idol find in this episode. We have a lot of good stuff here, but, but Lisey's going to join the Ravu tribe. So, Paul... Well, my my favorite little thing about this, I don't know that I really noticed it that much until I, you know, like came on this mission to talk about how great Stacy is as a villain on the show. If you notice, as Lisi is, her like boat is coming up to the Ravu shore, and the guys are there talking about, yeah, Lisi's gonna join us. How's she gonna fit in? All these things are making these comments that, oh, she's gonna be so happy with all these guys around her. Yeah, all these ears that won't be listening to her or whatever. And one of the guys, I'm not sure who made the comment, says. Um, they're saying, yeah, she wasn't that bad, I guess. She was easily influenced by Stacy. So it's like this underlying, like, jab. Like, actually, Lisey wasn't a horrible person. It was all Stacy's fault. So I just <laughs> love the setup that that little jab was thrown in there about how awful Stacy is again. Well, it doesn't help that, I mean, the last thing they saw of Lisey was her saying, like, well, I want to quit. Nah, I'm not going to quit anymore. And so they even make a joke at the top of, like, oh, she's going to get on the beach immediately and quit. And so I feel like it probably plays into that a little bit, Paul, that, like, a, she was being controlled by Stacy, and B, she feels helpless because she was about to quit the game. I feel like they can very easily manipulate her, and that's one reason why they keep her around for one more episode than she probably should. Right. Yeah, and Dream still loves her, right? Dreams yeah. is so excited to have Lisi on his tribe. What does he say? He says, uh, Lisi should be worried here because I don't like her. And that's it. And now we go over to the famous idol find with Yao Man. So you get there, and I mean, this is just this is just good communication with Earl and Yao. And you saw them in a previous episode when they were on Ravu Beach try to do this, where Earl basically tries to lead everyone on ex- on expedition. They're going to leave Yao Man behind at the cave, and he's going to go find the idol. And they couldn't really do it very well on Ravu because they had literally nothing to dig a hole with. So you know, Yao Man couldn't find the idol, or, or didn't have the time, and didn't have the tools or the resources or whatever. But anyway, Earl basically leads everyone on an expedition to go find the boat that was like, I, you know, I was trying <laughs> to like, follow. This, like che- this was Chewy Gone levels of boat management. <laughs> yeah, th- th- I was trying to follow the story of the boat. And like, even that was sort of entertaining. But yet at the same time, you sort of had to just shake your head and go, what the hell am I looking at? Because like they were, you know, they they basically led them over to where their boat was. And their boat was like way the frick far away and it was up there because oh tide came and they got bored or lazy or tired or something and they just left <laughs> talk the boat. about moto like, moto privilege <laughs> like oh we just left it over there we par- we parked it in the itchy lot yeah just, the valet know, just, will just, take it yeah, all that sort of stuff and what's great is that if you noticed which which i found totally funny was that earl leads them on the let's go get the boat and they don't even get the boat <laughs> They're like, oh, there's that boat. All right, I guess we should go back. 
I mean, and they, they, I think Cassandra or somebody says they were like, well, it's out there. We got to wait for higher tide. Like I, they, they had a scientific explanation as to why they couldn't get the boat. But I think that's funny is that Earl's like, hey, let's go get the boat. And then they like go to the boat and you hear like little comments on their thing would be like, why'd you leave the boat all the way out here? Oh, well, I, uh, and then they come back after Yaman's found the idol, which we'll talk about. But like the, the Yaman's like, did you get the boat? And they're like, no, nah. it's up there. It's like, yeah. Nice boat talk, but basically they go out on the boat, and Yao Man knows where the idol is, and this time he's got a pickaxe, so he could totally dig and find this idol. Yeah, Yao Man with a pickaxe is dangerous with his knowledge of science and stuff. Yeah, so so I would say of the three idol finds that we've seen so far in Survivor history, or I guess if we're counting Gary's four, I'd find this by far the most exciting. And the one with the four horsemen next episode is going to be fun too. And that's one reason why I think they made a really good decision in terms of hiding the idols at camp this season, just because there is this sort of uh, added stakes to it and that you have to figure out a way to have nobody find it. And so, yeah, man, you can see how nervous he is with the way he reacts when he finds the idol. Like, yeah, man, I feel like is a very relatively composed individual like he's very well spoken but when he gets it he pulls like a michael jordan and just sticks his tongue out and can't put his tongue back in his mouth for some reason he's just wagging it all around and he's just jumping around like this is the by far the most excited that we'll see yao man throughout his time in fiji i found the lemon tree yeah this is the scene that i, I nicknamed yao man makes love to a small turtle idol <laughs> Yeah, so Yaman finds it. Yeah, he's all excited. He digs it. He holds up to the camera. He goes, this is my million dollars. And then he, he buries all the, all the hole back and everything. And so when they come back, and uh, that no one will know. But yeah, it is a great scene. It's one of the uh, trademark scenes of uh, Survivor Fiji, one that everyone tends to remember. And, and like they said, one of the more exciting idol finds ever. I, I, I like the idol find. I like that he, you know, all the, all the Yao Man sort of stuff that went with it. But I also love that where they come back and Yao Man is, he's still doing that, coconut hollowing out that he was doing and yeah. hey did you did you find the boat and we get the whole no and he's just like well thanks for looking for it and then <laughs> earl was talking about fishing and yaman's like hey do you want to go untangle the nets and what's great is that like you're like oh man yaman's gonna like unload and stuff like that and it's like they walk away and he says yeah i got it and Earl's <laughs> like all right good it's like the most calm cool and collected conversation you've ever heard two people he's just like i got the idol man <laughs> Right on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, young man's like, here I am, old Scrapey. Leave me back here to scrape the coconut. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, old, old Scrapey. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Yaman outlines, you know, his unconventional relationship with Earl here. That was talked. I mean, we talked about as Mario, you said the whole thing that I think we, the four of us, really love about Survivor. One of the main things is this whole idea of throwing people together from different walks of life, and we definitely see as Yaman outlines here that the big, strong black man has now become best friends with the small Asian scientist. Yes, now, it's cool. It just harken, yeah, it goes right back to Rich and Rudy in the first season. It's just I love little pairings like that of people that become friends that wouldn't have even known each other going into the game. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Earl was not like super, super familiar with Survivor before he went out there. He'd yeah. never seen it. I thought. Yeah, right, right, exactly, right. And his conversation, his confessional here is so good and it's so brilliant. And it's it's a reason why you know again I'm loath to rank winners or talk about blah blah blah. But it's like. If anyone ever like presses me and say, "Hey, you know, who are some of the better survivor players out there?" I always have to mention Earl. And it's not just cuz, you know, 90 win and all that sort of stuff, but it's like you look at this confessional he has afterwards. He talks about how he's like, "Look, I helped Yao get the idol because, you know, that's the thing is when when people are sort of form an alliance and one of them finds an idol, there's always that whole like, "Oh, well, 
you hold on to it, but it's really ours or blah, blah, blah. And it's like Earl really doesn't have that full notion, but he's, he has this conversation about how he's like, I helped Yao find the idol, and now I have Yao, and Yao's tied to me, and I know that he's got the idol, and if we're together, any situation that he has to the, use the idol, we're both probably in a situation. So we can, you know, sort of, you know, work that out together. And it's it's actually just a real brilliant sort of, uh, I mean, it's a no-duh conversation to people now where idols are a thing you always have to talk about. But But back then it was just a fact of, you know, it was always get the idol and then you have the power, you have the idol, you can decide what to do with it. But Earl's talking about just being peripherally related to the idol and helping the idol finder get it. And just the benefits of that. And it's a really, really smart conversation. It's such a dichotomy, too, between the way Earl and Yao talk about their idol and how the horsemen will talk about their idol yes, in the next episode. Exactly. It's like, yeah, Earl and Yao are just like, yeah, we trust each other. This is going to be awesome. And the horsemen are like trying to backstab each other from the first minute they get that idol. How can I keep this for my advantage and nobody else gets it? It's just, yes. it's the totally good and evil dichotomy. I love that. Right. Because if you asked Earl at that point, you were like, whose immunity idol is it? Earl would say, it's Yao's idol. But, you know, we're a team and we're going to go and, you know, Earl is basically talking about how helping Yao find the idol and Yao having the idol is a benefit to him. But it's never a that's mine. Can I hold it for a while? You're going to use it on me, right? It's it's none of that. It's Earl knows what he's doing and he's just so calm about it and not just so calm, but like he it's it's exactly correct. Everything that he's saying. And it's 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 a really nice uh, conversation to see. Things, things that always make me bristle are like when people watch Survivor and they say, oh, you can tell that person's a horrible person because they made this move or they said this. Like People infer traits about a person's personality based on Survivor, which is just a stupid thing to do. But just the way, again, like you said, the way Earl just responds to that whole thing just makes you think, you know, Earl's probably a good dude. He just seems like a good dude. Wow, I've stunned everyone into silence with my praise of Earl. Oh, I, want, I want to play some mm-hmm. lax, bro. Let's go to the challenge. <laughs> All right, we're going to go up. To- <laughs> we just keep talking over the mm-hmm's. Okay. Yes, the uh, we're going to the reward challenge. This is the some lax. <laughs> <laughs> we launch fireballs with a flamethrower, which is li- a literal flamethrower. When he said flamethrower at first, I thought I'm like, wow, they're getting oddly mechanical for you know a primal <laughs> setting of a show. But no, apparently the ancient Fijians, I guess they're much like the ancient Guatemalans in terms of they were doing extremely dangerous things, including literally putting balls on fire into a some sort of launcher and then just throwing it at targets <laughs> and hopefully not people i don't know how they played this game so yeah. so basically yeah so basically for those of you who are, uh, following along at home so this challenge is they've got three targets and the targets are basically like a square uh like cloth section that's that's sort of you know several feet by several feet uh, at, at three different distances and it's sort of at a 45 degree angle and then you go up on a platform and you basically have a it's like a high ally sort of uh, launcher sort of deal like almost like a lacrosse stick but it's more like high lie and it's like you have a ball and it's all metal and then you the ball's got some sort of uh, thing in it that will light on fire so you have to like dip your once you load the ball into your high ally launcher you have to like light the thing on fire so that the little ball inside is on fire and you have to launch this flaming ball down at one of the targets and then if you hit it in there it will burn the cloth and you know first people to three but it is it's literally like this extravagant target shooting sort of practice but it's cool because there's fire yeah it's like everyone take these fireballs and throw them at anthony that's the challenge 
<laughs> All right. Yeah. So this is the one I, I wrote about this one on the Funny 115. It's a fun challenge. It's fun to watch. And there's a great moment in there that I, I always get a kick out of where Yao Man's going up to throw his flamethrower. And all the Rabus like Mookie are making fun of Yao Man because he's so old and weak and he won't be able to throw this thing. They're like mocking his technique. And then Yao Man, of course, with his innate knowledge of science, figures out the optimum way to do it, throws the fireball, hits the target. And there's a great shot of all the Rabus just like going like, what the hell just happened? And then Yao Man's like dancing back to his mat all happy. It's just it's a great little moment. And he has his little uh, quote here where he says, old guy's good for some good. Which is like yeah. another great Yao Manism. It's it's the one liner at the end. Like we have this great scene where you see him like holding the the highlight thing, and he's kind of got the two hands, and it's there. And you see Mookie mocking him, and he gets the thing, and you see like Mookie with just his hands on his head, like oh my god, the old man hit the target. And then the Yao Man dancing back, like that scene could have ended there, and it's a hundred percent. It's an A plus scene, yeah. right? But then you have Yao Man, the old man's good for some good. Like you know, <laughs> just just the one liner from Yao at the end. I had forgotten when I watched this challenge that Yao Man's tribe actually loses. I kind of remembered it being that was the winning shot and he like showed them, but that's it is actually not to be if you were, haven't seen this episode in a while. Rabu, wow, who, who, who would have thought the bros win the lacrosse challenge? <laughs> I could never think of that. So, so the bros win the lacrosse challenge and what they win is they win. It's basically the same place that they took Kelly Wigglesworth in Borneo to get the pasta and see the thing. It's it's some place in Fiji that you know. And Jeff calls you it. You think an it's arcade. authentic? It, how it dare how dare you suggest the Kava Bowl has not been there for fifty years? <laughs> Does, Does yeah, Chad own that bar? <laughs> yeah, exactly the Kava Bowl. <laughs> so like they take him to this, what clearly isn't a, a hastily constructed set at all in any way. By, by by Survivor. They take them to this place and Jeff calls it an arcade and, and I would totally not call it an arcade but it, it's it's basically this indoor structure where they have a little lounge area where they get hot dogs and beer and shit and then it's like there's a bowling little alley in there and there's some pool tables and, and that's about it. Takes them to to golf and stuff, basically. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and then virtual they also golf. have the uh, the little the little uh, virtual driving range uh, on the <laughs> other side, but. But basically, it's uh, you'll get to go eat food and relax. Is golf a big sport in Fiji? That's not what I've predicted would have happened. Well, this is, also, this is also before the big Fijian coup that happened right after they filmed here. So part of me wonders if, they're, if they went to like the mansion of the eventual leader that was overthrown and just showed like the wealth that he lived in where he had this big virtual golf and all this billiards while all the other people were living in squalor. Well, I'm wondering, if, was this... Um CC Heidek's like dream, how she wanted to really go to Fiji. Was this kind of what she was envisioning? No, uh, CC Heidek's dream would have been on the tribe surrounded by guys as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I hope people got that joke. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's yeah, CC so, Heidek's yeah, Rob, because Brian, Brian Heidek's dream is, is in another episode where we get the bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, Ravu goes to the arcade, and they just gorge themselves on food. They eat hot dogs. I think at one point, Dreams is eating four hot dogs in one bun. Which, again, yeah. the homeless guy, you, know, you, can't, you can't fault him. He's going to take the food where he can get it. Well, you get that thing, and then you get this, this sort of like subplot of the reward, which is funny, where, well, there's two subplots. One is Lisey's fitting in because Lisey will apparently drink hot dogs and pound beer, which, you know, and you know bros chest. like it. Yeah, she's just like a dude. You can take her to a ball game, which I'm always like, all right. But or, then, or, or in Sarge's case, to the racetrack, right? To the racetrack. <laughs> dress her up and take her to NASCAR. And put a dress on her. <laughs> dress her up, take her to the racetrack, take her to the NASCAR. 
<laughs> That's how they do it in Europe. Oh, sur- sur- Survivor really does get all kinds of people. <laughs> Can you imagine Anthony at the arcade? Anthony would have been all kinds of fun at the arcade. Yeah. He would have been like, where's Pong? But anyway. <laughs> um, so, so the other subplot of the of the reward is that you see them when they get there they're you know gorging themselves on the hot dogs and stuff like that and then we we get a little confessional from rocky who basically talks about man they just they just ate all this like i ate eight nine hot dogs bro it's just like hey bro relax bro relax i ate all the hot dogs it's over it's over but basically, you get this subplot where like Rocky is basically commenting that they're all stuffing themselves silly and they're going to get sick, and I'm not going to do that. And then you know they they go and they play golf and they pound beers and they bump chests with Lisi, and all this sort of stuff happens. And then predictably, you see them throwing up and passing out and basically having all of the sort of gastrointestinal problems that people who are starving who suddenly get a lot of food have that. You know, we, we've seen on previous seasons of Survivor before, but basically they're all not feeling really great. And what's, what, what's great about this is that Rocky, who has moderated himself and, and doesn't have a stomachache, not only is feeling great, he's going to tell them all how crappy they are for feeling bad. <laughs> yes. Just some more tough love from Rocky. It's tough love. I think it's just part of this mass hole thing that you're talking about where the fact that, you know, he's doing it. I, I, I don't think he's necessarily doing it to, like, be mean yeah, but at the same time, like this is his bonding thing is he's he's going to rib you, but this is like, it's too far and it's too much and it's not appropriate. But it doesn't matter. That's that's who he is. Yeah, and he's just he's busting their balls. And again, that's probably how he bonds with people. It's like, but yeah, then, we're just talking crap about each other. But you know, they, they the other guys interpret it as like Rocky's always on edge and criticizing everybody. So again, just like you were talking about, it's just a, a disparity in behaviors where Rocky thinks he's just having a good time. And joking around, whereas they think like, okay, we'll probably also shouldn't pick on people that are feeling sick as well because they're in a more susceptible state and they're probably less likely to joke around. So now they're thinking like, okay, now we're reminded how much of an asshole Rocky is. Let's vote him out. Yeah, Courtney's going to come sing to them because they're all feeling horrible. I mean, that, that's the thing is that Rocky's not going to win Survivor and he's never going to win Survivor because he's never going to – well, I mean – at, at his age, at his at his stage in life that he was in in Survivor Fiji, he's not winning Survivor because he can't. He's not relating. You know what I yep. mean? It's just he's he's seeing it through his eyes, and he's just going to do everything in his eyes. He's not relating the, to 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 anyone else in his tribe. Like you said, Mike, they're all in a sort of sickened state. They're throwing up or 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 you know having severe stomach issues, and so they're not really up for the bullshit right now so when rocky's basically like you did it to yourself i don't know why you did it you're so stupid why'd you eat all those all those hot dogs he's just ribbing him for you know having a stomach ache but they're like i don't feel well can you shut the fuck up yeah and it's like he won't you know so like that's the whole problem yeah he just doesn't grasp that people think he's an asshole by the way as we're at uh, as we're in the arcade here at the uh kava bowl the chad crittenden kava bowl uh, we forgot about the subplot here, but Earl has been sent to Exile Island, and he officially names it Earl Island, which is, for some reason, a scene that everyone seems to remember. Earl Island. I was just going to say, is that really a subplot? It's, no, it's, it's, just, a, it's, just, it's just another in the compendium of Earl winner quotes and scenes. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I have to say, someone uh, we had mentioned in the last podcast about Exile Island, how dangerous it was with all the sea snakes. And we actually had an animal expert write in to us and say, yeah, she heard the podcast. She's like, yeah, my husband works with snakes, and 
And basically those sea snakes, yeah, they're extremely poisonous. And like if you get bit by one, you'll probably die. But they do not bite. They're, it's almost impossible to provoke one of them to bite you. They're basically the daddy long legs of snakes. Like they have the potential to have venom in them, but there's no way anyone's ever going to be bitten and die from one of them. So, so she did correct us on that. So just if people might find that interesting. It is interesting. It's and it's not really correcting. It's you know they're when they say there's with danger you know with with dangerous and deadly sea snakes they are dangerous and deadly but they are not the danger level's not high. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to go back to Moto Camp and I believe this is the first time someone makes is this the first fake idol in Survivor history? Yes, absolutely. And the best one, most believable the- <laughs> one too. Yeah, so Yao it's Man. labeled. It's labeled. Who needs a note when you label Got it? I I. Yeah, Yao Man. Not only thinking outside the box and all sorts of challenges and strategies, he decides. Well, I dug up an idol, but someone else might come looking for this idol later. So I'm going to put a fake one down there, which at the time was just mind blowing. Because again, this had never happened on Survivor before, and Yao Man was just thinking up stuff outside the box, all left and right, every episode now. And and again, admittedly, it's a shitty idol. He just takes half a coconut, old scrapey, scrapes open a coconut. Nut, and he writes I I on the side and buries it. But just the the thinking behind that when no one had ever done that before it was just again why Yao Man was one of the all time great Survivor characters. And you would think that somebody wouldn't fall for that, but I believe we're going to run into somebody two seasons from now who just might be susceptible <laughs> to finding a, an idol of that sort of craftsmanship yeah, level. Yes. And to be fair, Yao Man's coconut is only one step above Ozzy's stick with a face on it. There's no, not well, that the much co- difference. The coconut had a face on it, so, you know, it's all good. Yeah. It's got I-I on it. It stands for immunity idol. Immunity well, idol. Well, then that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, as if the producers would just write I-I. I just love the thought process behind that. For a, someone who's a, a brilliant scientist, I just love that the producers would write I-I on the side. Because <laughs> they didn't have enough room. <laughs> yeah, th- this is this is a precedent, right? So. Uh, you know, Yao Man finds a or makes a fake idol and goes like, "We're we're gonna have fake idols all through Survivor, but this is the first one, and it's not gonna pay off this season." But it's again, it's an, it's an interesting concept, and I like the fact that he was thinking ahead. And you know, if it throws someone off, fine. If it doesn't, fine. But you know, in a way, it sort of staves off a little bit of insanity. So you know, not not a bad arts and crafts day. And he always uses some phrase to describe himself. I'm getting a little bit evil. I think of something nasty. What is the phrase he uses for this one? Paul would know. He said, they said I have a, a really evil thought. Yeah, a really evil thought. Yeah. So this is Yao Man's evil thought. And then the, it, the scene ends with him like laughing and mugging for the camera as only Yao Man can do. Just, again, just what a wonderful character. I love Yao Man in this season. There are so many immunity idols running around. <laughs> uh, there's two, but, you know, okay. <laughs> All right, now we go to the immunity challenge. This is a this is the the, the Timbertina Ruth Marie Memorial <laughs> Challenge. It's all about smashing. <laughs> Smashers, yes. A, a, a funny one fifteen challenge. I have this one on there. This is the one that people will remember where Michelle falls off the platform. But there's other good stuff going on here too. If so only she the- were sixty years older. <laughs> <laughs> if so she was sixty and she fell off that platform, she would have disintegrated when she hit the ground ball. That was a long fall. That was a big fall, you know. It, feet, it's funny. Said. It's funny that you get on there and then it's it's it sort of just gets glossed over, which is good in of itself. But basically, how this works is this is a blindfolded challenge. There's a caller who's up on a platform, which was it's 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 Michelle starts off for Moto, and I think it starts off with Lisi and then quickly goes to Alex, mm-hmm. but for Ravu. But basically, how it goes is that the caller has to lead the blindfolded person down 
sort of a field, uh, a fenced off field. And in, in the field, suspended by a rope are some skulls, or as Jeff Probst pronounces them always, skulls. So they basically have a, a little weapon in their hands, and they have to use the weapon to smash the skull open. And inside each skull is a bundle of puzzle pieces or puzzle tiles, and they have to go drop them at the end of the course onto the puzzle table, and then navigate all the way back to the beginning, and then tag out, and the next person goes in there. So everyone has to go out and smash a skull, put pieces on a table, and then when they all get back to the start, and they're all, they've are all they got all their pieces on the table, they can take off their blindfolds, run to the table, and then basically untie the puzzle tiles, which then uh, reveals letters that they need to drop in and make a phrase. So let's go to the challenge. Yeah, and that I think moto, that... That moto will win. Yeah, and basically the, the reason why Rabu sort of falls behind here, and again, it's a, it's a pretty close challenge. They both make it to the puzzle, but, uh, but Moto is able to figure it out before Rabu does. The problem is that these skulls are sort of pinata styles suspended from strings in the air. And so, like, Alex in particular does pretty badly with it because once they start swinging, it's going to be really hard, even when you're not blindfolded, to be able to hit it on contact. And so you have these actually really humorous, like, GIF-worthy moments where these guys are literally just swinging their, their sticks around as quickly as possible, trying to hit it at some whoa, point of contact. <laughs> yeah, and surprise, surprise, Lisi is not involved in that competition in any way, shape, or form. Uh, my favorite one is where Boo goes out there, and I believe the clinical term is what happens is Boo has a spaz attack, <laughs> where he just flails his club in as many directions as at once. It's, it's one of those things I wish I'd written about it in the Funny 115. It would be a hilarious uh, little GIF, GIF file, but it's, it's I, also, I also like the random inclusion here of Beethoven's Fifth. I don't know if you guys caught that, but they randomly started piping in classical music in the middle of this challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even remember that, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the other thing that everyone remembers is Michelle is up on the platform for Moto, just bouncing around like a little pixie. She's awfully cute. I hate to say that. She's just adorable in this scene. And then at one point, she gets a little too close to the edge, and she just bails right off the side of it in the background. It's a great moment. It's <laughs> one I, I put on the Funny 115 after people had to twist my arm to put that one on there. I don't like doing slapstick entries, but that was a good one. The best is when she takes the tumble, like you just hear her go, <laughs> and just kind of laughs after she tumbles down to the ground. And she doesn't miss a beat. She like keeps talking even after she hits the ground. <laughs> yes. I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm go just going to jump in here. And, and I'm, this is a little bit out of order here, but I think we might forget this um, if I don't bring it up here. So as everyone knows, I kind of keep track of and remind us of things that happened on the early show and whatnot. And so if you fast forward to the time when uh, Michelle gets booted out, uh, she's on the early show talking to Harry Smith and he's talking about this video and he wants to show it because it's, oh my God, it's so funny. She's falling off of um, off of this platform. And uh, Harry Smith here shows how hip he is and how down he is with how the internet's working and stuff because uh, he, he sets up this video by saying, uh, let, let me show you this video that, that you've been very popular in. It's been downloaded on the YouTube and been seen by 80,000 hits. <laughs> seen by so hits. Nice. I wonder, wow. how many, I wonder how many hits have seen it now and if it's still downloaded on the YouTube. <laughs> this thing went virusal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Mo, yeah, Michelle's great. And again, it's the one thing you learn about Michelle from this challenge. She can take a pounding. So anyway, yeah, the other thing about this challenge that happens a lot is it's the let's see how many times we can run Mookie's stomach into a into a fence challenge. Yeah, he he visibly recoils after running into several posts during this challenge. <laughs> yeah, it just so looks painful. I always hate these blindfolded ones because they look like they'd be so painful. I'm not out there and I can't he visually hear. And it's funny because Lisi is the first caller for Ravu and Alex is the first person that goes out 
uh, on the course for Ravu. And what's funny is that, you know, you don't get the time elapsed. So you don't get the, what we don't get the story here is how long it took Alex to get in position for the first skull. But you see him have trouble because he's like swinging and he's not connecting with the skull. And he's like, where is it? And Lisa's like, it's right there. And he finally like gets the skull and puts it on the table. And it's like, he immediately comes back and says, get out of there. I'm doing this. And I'm not, I'm not, um, disputing the call like it, it maybe it didn't seem like Lisi was the best caller there in that in that situation but like it a lot of the people like boo and some of the people just had problems just hitting the skull and it's like a lot of times you can't necessarily coach that it's just it's right there swing you know and it's entirely possible that Lisi quit after the first caller maybe that's why alex came up <laughs> there, there and then she decided not to and decided tried to step back up onto the platform but alex wouldn't let her there's that but i you know michelle i think for the most part she got swapped out by boo at the end just for the final one because the skull was all at the end and the boo was, boo was just basically like i've got a, a voice that carries let me go but you know michelle led her team pretty well through this thing and you know i liked that not only was she positive and upbeat but it was once the skull was smashed she literally just said hands on the ground hands on the ground mm-hmm. you know and, and it was like it was nice because you had that little bit of direction there it was just like okay it's on the ground put your hands out and then i'll direct you from there i I was just there were some smart calls there yeah and and again people forget that michelle is the one that comes in and solves the puzzle at the end basically for moto as well she's just the all-star in this challenge all along yeah uh, cannibal isles right yeah so michelle is an all-star in this challenge and she wins it for moto and looks like rabu's going right back to tribal council we're gonna vote out ant oh he's gone (laughs) yeah so yeah, we go to, Ravu has lost the challenge, they lost the blindfold challenge, they go back to camp, and Edgardo says, it's going to be Rocky or Lisi. Do we want to vote out Lisi, who's worthless, or Rocky, who's just a pain in the butt? So that's reason, that's what's, what it's going to come down to tonight. And uh, if I recall, Lisi knows she might be in danger tonight, because it's all guys and her, and she's like, well, I can at least try to build some loyalty, so she goes and tells Alex... By the way, I, at Exile Island, I read the clues. There's an immunity idol hidden back here at camp. So she's going to start getting some currency or gaining some trust among her uh, her new tribesmates by letting them in on the fact that she knows there's an idol here. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is there's a lot of really interesting sort of scrambling that goes on in the season. A lot of these post-immunity challenges, pre-tribal council scenes are very interesting, especially in this stretch in Fiji. And this is... This is not the most interesting one, but this 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 one actually carries some bit because you see the fact that Lisi has like very removed from her tribe and they don't necessarily like her very much. And you can see that Dreams absolutely does not like her. It actually talks about how he doesn't want to vote for Rocky. And then we get this sort of, you know, Rocky and, and Mookie sort of vote and all that sort of stuff. But like, you know, uh, Dreams doesn't is, wants to get rid of Lisi, but you know, Lisi does do some things here. She convinces them enough that she wants to stay, but she also spills the beans about the hidden immunity idol, which sort of digs Rocky's grave. And you know, Rocky needs to scramble and defend himself. Oh no, way, he's Rocky. He's not going to. Yeah, I love. There's a quote here where Dreams says, "You know, I kind of like Rocky now." He's like, he throws false attitude a bit around, but that's not really what he's, he's not being mean, that's just what he's like. So, Dreams basically says, yeah, Rocky's not that bad. So, so much for that big rivalry that they were hyping for, like, well, the first eight episodes. To, now it's gone. To be, fair, to be fair, a disposable douche washed up on the beach should probably be more appealing than Lisi to Dreams at this point. <laughs> that's a good point, yes. Disposable douche. We're the only podcast that uses the word disposable douche. So, yeah, so, uh, 
there's a great scene coming up here before the vote just kind of shows uh rocky's uh wonderful social skills and i had a lot of fun with this on the funny 115 as well again i, I had a lot of rocky entries i had fun with him where edgardo comes over to sit next to rocky he's like hey who do you think we should vote out and rocky snaps he's like why don't you shove over unless you're planning to make out with me which is just- <laughs> but you're not because you're not a woman that's what i yeah. do with them <laughs> Rocky I'll make, I'll make out with you and then I'll yeah. touch you and then we'll have a conversation <laughs> bro that's just one of my favorite little interactions between two characters because it's just completely out of the blue although I think if I if I recall when if you listen very carefully Edgardo comes over and says uh, who do you want to vote out and he says he he like calls Rocky a name it's like they kind of it's like they're kind of joking with each other he's like you ass or something like that and then Rocky just completely with his shove over bro and it's just I just love little interactions like that that come out of nowhere so anyway, Rocky might be in danger tonight. He is not. He does not get along with people sometimes. Yeah, but he's but he's pretty confident that it's going to be Lisi. He's I, I don't know for some and to, again maybe it's showing his sort of delusion at this point. But he is a gobsmacked. He's completely blindsided at this point that he gets eliminated by the Motos on the on the tribe at this point. Yeah, how is he blindsided? I don't get that. Yeah, you know it was funny. I forgot. I I mean I knew Rocky goes out here, but. I think we were talking, uh, maybe it was just we, we were talking to each other like the last podcast or we were writing each other about it. Uh, I don't know, but the, the phrase Rocky Blindside came up and then this episode was here and I was <laughs> expecting some sort of blindside. And I was like, this was pretty straightforward. Like, it's, it, it, it seems pretty obvious that Rocky's the person to go. Well, yeah, the irony here is that Rocky's basically Anthony now. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no one wants to deal with him. I mean, I guess yeah, it's a blind side in the sense that Rocky doesn't know, but there's a lot Rocky doesn't know. So I don't know if that is fair. Well, it's also it's so quiet. It's like Rocky's so quiet by the end of the episode. We don't see that much aside from that little <laughs> scene, you know, about him. He doesn't talk that much and stuff. And even I don't know. I feel like it's you. You expect like a bigger, explosive, big blind side, crazy Rocky's out, but he kind of just like peters out by the end of the episode. Well, yeah, we'll just he, wait until his final words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because he's because he's not scrambling because he doesn't know that he's going home right. and he doesn't have the wherewithal. So there's no Rocky scrambling. So the scrambling is entirely Lisi. So you get that sort of thing. You get this weird thing, which I I I think it's a harbinger for for the Horsemen later. And it's not really there's not like the biggest payoff on planet Earth for this. But there's the fact that like when they're talking discussing voting Rocky out, and they sort of get with the plan. Like I think there's a scene where Alex basically says, "Yeah, Ed's in on it. You guys are going to vote out Rocky." And like Mookie's basically like, he says, you know what? I I promised Rock I wouldn't vote him out. Can I just vote for somebody else and you guys just vote him out? And it's it's not you know and and he does when the vote goes out. Like um, uh, Mookie does not vote for Rocky here, but it, which doesn't matter. But I think that it's very telling for episodes to come along that Mookie just doesn't want to go along with everything else and he sort of wants to do his own thing, which is a self preservation sort of move. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like we sort of remember on paper Alex as the big figurehead of the Four Horsemen, and you know he makes the the DVD cover for this season, and people sort of remember him as the most important four of the Four Horsemen, aside from Dreams. But Edgardo's going to have a pretty good, pretty you know pivotal role coming up in the next couple episodes. Mookie, I feel like, is a pretty pretty surprisingly complex person. You know, he had a lot of strategic stuff over at Old Ravu. Here, as you just said, Jay, he's he's going to deviate a little bit here. He's going to deviate a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Michelle boot coming up as well. So Mookie is a little bit more complicated than I initially remembered him to be. 
Yeah, the one thing I know about, I can say about this episode is there are those pivotal moments in Survivor history where the vote comes down to two beloved characters, and it's Rocky versus Lisi. I mean, how can you choose? <laughs> how can you choose? It's <laughs> maybe, like, is it maybe Roger or Elizabeth? Yet. Exactly, <laughs> just like that. And what's so, funny is that is that when they, you know, it, it's a pretty uneventful tribal council up until the the final words, and we'll get there. But like, for the most part, like, you know, Jeff's like, "Hey, what are you basing your voting? What are you voting for? What are you basing? You know, just sort of basic tribal council stuff." And a lot of them are basically like, "Yeah, well, you know, Lisi has some good qualities, and we're just going to vote for you know what's best for us." There's all these like they basically say without saying that Rocky's going home. And you see Rocky just sort of look and, you know, maybe it's a look of, hey, maybe something's wrong. Or it's just, hey, bro, I'm Rocky. I'm, it's over, bro. I don't know. But it's, again, for, to call this a blind side, it's like they literally were like, Rocky, we're voting you out tonight. And he got voted out. The only thing I feel kind of cheated on is I feel like Rocky deserved a more explosive exit. It just seems like he needed something bigger. It's, it, like you said, it's very anticlimactic. He gets blindsided. And that's really about it. He doesn't even have a big speech. He doesn't go on a big shalingua or shaquila or anything. Like he just, it, it, Rocky gets voted out because he was next. It's, yeah, well, he you, deserved you better. Think, you would think like if you compare him to like Jamie Newton or Judd from Guatemala, and they both had such pretty memorable words as they were leaving. Yeah, Rocky, maybe because Rocky was so stunned, he was surprisingly speechless. But he lets everything out in the final words, literally <laughs> in the very first, the first three seconds of his final words are just him getting, letting out this guttural yell, which we've heard several times throughout the season whenever Rocky's angry. Yes. Yet another funny 115 entry, Rocky's final words. Just, I was so amused by this guy, some of the stuff he pulled out. So just to, just to preface it so you guys can go back into him if you want to describe him in, in depth. Rocky gets voted out, he leaves, and Jeff also drops the bombshell that, you know, even though we have not merged tribes yet, Rocky is the first member of the jury. Amazing. Rocky's going to vote somebody a million dollars. Go for it. I just think it's sad that Rocky didn't get to go the distance. That's all he ever wanted. There actually, I will point this out that at least in the next episode, when Rocky comes up to his jury box, they do a shot from behind of him coming up the stairs. And I really yes. hope that the editors do that on purpose as a Rocky climbing the Philadelphia Museum of Art steps. I totally noticed that and I wrote it in my notes. I love the next episode is Rocky jogging up the steps. That's the first thing you see at Tribal Council when he comes in. All right. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Rocky here, who was blindsided. And in his own words, I was smacked in the mouth with a cinder block. Um, yeah, I love Rocky. He, I would say he is one of the two best characters in Fiji. And that's only because Yao Man, I think, is like a top 20 all time character. But Rocky is one of those guys. And again, I don't even like him that much. I don't think I'd get along with him. I just think it's fascinating to see someone like him because there aren't many Rockies on Survivor who's so unfiltered and just so raw. And I've always thought he gets a bad rap. And I know he's not popular at all. I just It's one of those things. I think people should give him more of a chance and just find him more interesting than just write him off as being horrible. Even uh, Harry Smith on the early show, I, I, starting at the jury, they start having these uh, the Fiji contestants go on to the early show. And I mean, at this point, they don't have a, this is the last time you'll see them on the early show, aside from the winners or sometimes the finalists come on. So they don't have like a fancy set or anything. They sit down for about five minutes and just kind of BS. And half the time, the anchors aren't even watching the season anymore because Harry is uh, talking about this episode and goes, and you went home, but there was the, the, the woman who almost walked out. Uh, referring to Lisi. I was like, oh, that's a very eloquent, eloquent way to describe what happened with Lisi. Um, but he, even he, he says to Ross, Rocky, he's like, well, you're kind of whiny the whole time, weren't you? Like, like, what were you doing out there? Did you have a strategy? But yeah, I mean, whatever, Rocky. Yeah, I mean. 
I agree. So am I the only one here who likes Rocky? I definitely, I mean, I loathed him the first time that I watched him. Again, just because if you perceive things a certain way, he's he does come off, as Harry Smith said, like a little crazy, but not like Shane levels of entertaining crazy, a little whiny, and especially, you know, Anthony, his stuff with Anthony can be perceived as bullying and very negative. Whereas, like, I definitely went into this, and maybe it's because we're in a post-coach world, or in, like, a post-like Dan Foley, Will Sims world, where people have looked a lot more negatively on people who have been accused of bullying or saying really bad comments on television but i definitely grew on rocky watching this on a rewatch just because if you look at him as like just sort of a cartoon character who really just you know he doesn't really have a bearing on the season overall since he goes out midway through the season and he's just sort of an entertaining person to have on screen for your first seven hours of television i definitely enjoyed him a little more and i think i don't know if i'd call him a top two character of of fiji i might I might, even though Earl's not a quote-unquote character, I'd still put him above Rocky at this point. But I, I definitely enjoyed him a lot more than he did on my first time. Rocky, what I appreciate about Rocky is that Rocky gave us good TV almost without trying to manufacture it so much. Like just who he was, uh, naturally, just sort of a, a an, an unhinged dude. You know, a mass hole as he was, but and then also throw in the fact that he was, you know, on nicotine withdrawal, sort of created a magic that was on screen. That sometimes people come across as is too aware of the cameras and too artificial. And I, th- I think Rocky was very raw, and that's something that I appreciate. I wouldn't call him a top two character of Fiji, but he's definitely up there. And I, I think that a lot of times when I'm watch w- back then when I would watch seasons of Survivor even though I was know that I was watching a TV show more than than a game or something like that uh, I didn't really learn how to properly contextualize characters I think the first time that I watch a season so with Rocky he's sort of an unpleasant guy that's on my screen and then he sort of goes away you know as the first member of the jury and I think that in my head at the time I was kind of like why did we spend all of that camera time on some guy who you know, wasn't very good at the game and sort of is out first member of the jury. But seeing how seasons are framed and stuff like that, he definitely had a purpose for the the, the episodes he was in. I think he was in probably the proper amount of episodes. Anything further, it would probably just be a little too uh, ugly and repetitive. Uh, but if he's, if he's out in the first two or three episodes, I don't think that I think we miss out on a lot of uh, decent television. So I think on the whole, I think Rocky was perfectly done for this uh, this this season. I'm always curious what Paul thinks about Rocky because I'm sure Paul meets lots of Rockies in Montana. Oh yeah, I know about twenty of them. Um, I just <laughs> I just remember him being just really kind of annoying, and but I think the one saving grace for him about me is that I can tolerate him more, knowing that he is out very early at the jury, and you don't have to suffer through him to the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Because I think there definitely is a, an element of him that makes really good TV, and sometimes you know things are best done in moderation. And even though it's we don't we definitely don't get Rocky in moderation for the time that he's in the game. If you look at the whole span of Fiji, I mean some of the best episodes are yet to come and he's not in him so that's how i feel about rocky yeah from from a from an editing perspective we sort of have overindulged on the hot dog that is rocky and now we're sort of feeling the stomach ache from it as he leaves (laughs) okay i gotta get into my little email exchange with my friend justin and again i I prefaced this earlier i have a friend from boston named justin lesniewski 
and he goes by JML. A lot of people might know him. I've written about him a lot. And he, he comes from a very similar background to Rocky. And I remember at the time, he, we would talk about Rocky, and Justin would always say, oh, Rocky's just very Boston. People don't get him. He's very Boston. And I actually asked Justin the other day to write up something. Just kind of explain your thoughts on how, why, you, I, why he and I both think people misinterpret Rocky. And I, I got a really interesting email, and I wanted to read it here. Let me see if I can find it. <clears throat> this is kind of cool. Justin wrote, because social media has grown so much and the country and world have appeared to become smaller as Survivor has aged, I think people sometimes forget the basic premise of Survivor. People from different walks of life forced to survive together. It's important to remember this premise when watching because America is still incredibly culturally diverse. Rocky from Fiji and the fan response to him is the perfect example of when you take a person who has only been in one cultural context his whole life and don't evaluate him based on that cultural context. And then Justin wrote, in his Funny 115, Mario has an entry called Rocky's Space Cushion. In it, he recounts how Rocky seemingly overreacted to Edgardo sitting down next to him on a log. Edgardo asks him what he thinks about Tribal Council, and Rocky responds, I think he should fucking push over a little bit unless you want to make out for fuck's sake. Now, if you're from California, this sort of a response is incredibly harsh. Justin goes, I'm a mass hole transplanted to Southern California, and I've had to soften both the content and volume of what I say just to get along with people out here. But if you're from Massachusetts, what Rocky said is completely normal and actually kind of hilarious. Translated into Californian, what Rocky said is basically just, you're making me uncomfortable with how close you're sitting to me. Could you please back up and respect my personal space? But if Rocky spoke like that in Boston, he'd get ignored or even worse, mocked. Rocky comes from a traditional blue-collar Italian immigrant background in which emphasis is put on being a traditional man, working hard, being tough, and not expressing your feelings, while also being passionate and interesting. His response to Edgardo meets all of this criteria. And then Justin even parallels Rocky, the character to Rocky in the movie, Rocky Balboa, when he said, remember, in the, box, in, in the boxing movie after winning his big fight, Rocky Balboa didn't say, I just want to say hi to my wife, Adrian. I'm so proud, and I hope you're proud of me. He yelled, yo, Adrian, I did it, which is exactly what Rocky from Survivor would have yelled. And I just kind of like that, uh, that whole uh, synopsis of the whole thing. And again, it's just one of those things to... Remember people in, the, people in their cultural context, and just because you don't necessarily like his cultural context doesn't mean it's any better or worse than anybody else. That's just who Rocky is, and again, that's what Dream said in an episode ago. He's like, that's just who Rocky is. He's just like that. Now, what cultural context does Lisi fall into then? I'm trying to find someone from her cultural background to write an email, and I'm having a really fucking hard time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Lisi, Lisi is bizarre. Lisi makes me laugh. I will say that. I can tell she thinks she's funny. She's goofing around half the time. She's not as funny as she thinks she is, but she, she is trying to amuse people. That's her thing. She thinks she's like a class clown out there. And which is funny because we're about to go now into the fall of Lisi. Yes, but let's start here with, with uh, Mario. I think you, you dedicated like two moments on the Funny 115 to this scene alone, correct? Where the, the three horsemen sans dreams find the <laughs> idol right where Lisi is sleeping. Yes, one of the greatest scenes in Survivor history. Again, it's just, if you look at this stuff from a comedy perspective and just the editors having so much fun with with Survivor, there's a scene right at the start of the episode where Lisi is sleeping and the three of the four horsemen, Alex, uh, Edgardo, and Mookie, are digging around and they find the idol while literally Lisi is sleeping. They're digging right next to her. And then Lisi wakes up, sees them digging. They've already found the idol. They're trying to fool her. And Lisi's like, huh, they think they're trying to fool me. And she says... What is the exact quote? You have to get up really early in the morning to fool an old cat like me. What's wrong with you? 
which is funny because they literally woke up earlier than her in the morning to find the <laughs> idol. It's just one of the most funniest things in Survivor history. And it's again, just these little moments that Fiji has, why I love the season so much. Like Cook Islands has no moment like that. that. That's such an editor's joke and it's so clever and I just love it that they literally do wake up earlier than her to find the idol and it's literally right next to her. It's good. It's good because, you know, you get they, they, they get the idol and then they get the hole where they have the frantic shushing because Lacey's <laughs> right there. So then they're like, whoosh, 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 you know? and then they like, apparently, they like, apparently, and of course, we don't we don't know total to- uh, context. But it seems like what happened was they found the idol and they were they were shushing each other and like, shut up, shut up. Shut, we got to talk about this. So they run off somewhere else and they have a quick conversation about the idol and this, that. And they check it out and they talk about all oh, we who are we? We can't tell Lisa. We can't tell Dream. We can't. We can't all this sort of stuff. Oh wait, we gotta we gotta dig the hole back up. So then they have to like quietly go back to where the hole was and then dig or you know bear, rebury the hole and and make it so that nothing was happened there. And that was when Lisi wakes up. Is when it seems, of course, we don't know, but that's what it seems like. Is that Mookie is sort of putting the finishing touches on replacing the hole, and Lisi's like, "Ah, oh, you digging for the <laughs> idol, huh?" She goes, "Little <laughs> idol digging." <laughs> she goes, yeah, I think it's right around that area. I'm pretty sure. And the best part is, is then she starts digging, and Mookie helps her dig, yeah. and the idol is in his pocket. That's the that's the capper to the scene that always kills me. That it ends with just a little shot of Mookie helping her dig. Which you know that that's that's the proper thing to do if you're Mookie, right? Is you just like, all right, I'll dig with you. <laughs> I also I also like the logic behind like, okay, we won't tell Dreams because we're afraid that he's going to tell Cassandra. Which spoiler alert, he will in two episodes. But we're not going to tell Lisi because Edgardo puts it. She's not a smart person. <laughs> like I just love the difference in rationales. <laughs> yes, and oh, the phrase that I used on the funny one fifteen was old timey cartoon shushing, where they're all shushing each other. That's I love that phrase. But yeah, it's just the, this is such a great little scene to open an episode. All right, and so we're going to go right into the reward challenge on this episode. This is the famous Fiji dance-off. This is a challenge weird, everyone seems to love. It's weird to say go into the reward challenge because, the, you know, this is sort of like in stages where this is the practice session where, well, you know, we often get visits from natives in the in the first big batches of seasons of Survivor. And this is one where they're going to, you know, they, they natives go to the to each camp and they are going to teach them a dance for two hours that they need to practice and then perform at a local village later on in the afternoon. Which, again, going back to what I said before, this is an extremely unique challenge. I love it as well. Maybe it's because I come from a background of the arts, but I just love this idea of, especially the Rabu tribe, of all these bros and Lisi trying to do this choreography. <laughs> I'm, a white, I'm a white guy who can't dance, so I enjoy watching Boo in this one. I, I, gotta, I gotta agree with you so so hard, Mike. I, I totally forgot about this challenge. And then it came, and I was I, I I think this is fantastic. I wish that they did more challenges kind of like this. I also like the fact that the dancers came, and you know they they clearly speak no English. So this is like you know Da coming there, and it, it's like they almost are like a kindergartner coming home with like a note pinned on their like on their clothes and stuff like that. They come with a note, and the note's like, yeah, they're they're not here to kill you. They're here to you know uh, teach you a dance. Well, you know who's really fired up to win this challenge is uh, Lisi. <laughs> this is where she says, challenges, honestly, I don't take seriously. I don't think we should be out here brooding about, we got to win. We got to eat that food. I mean, come on, guys. Cut to her making a rooster noise and then laughing. <laughs> and also, doesn't she scream at one of the natives when he starts talking to her? <laughs> <laughs> She's very culturally aware. I always Lisa. wonder about Lisi more than anything else because there are clearly people that go on Survivor and 
they're there to play the game. And there are people that go on Survivor and they want to do whatever it takes to win a million dollars. And then there are people that go on Survivor and they, you know, want the adventure and the this will change my life and uh, all that sort of stuff. It, it none of this seems to apply to Lisi. Lisi just is like it, it's almost like she was just a passenger on a plane and they were like she just kind of like wandered onto the wrong bus. <laughs> And they like dropped her off and she's just out there and she's like, well, oh, far out. I'm on this game show. Dude, yeah, they were, they were originally you, supposed to be 19 people, but then they added at least and then Melissa McNulty dropped out. So they stuck with 19. Do you, uh, do you want me to spoil why she said why she did the get why she did the show? Um, Jay, do it. <laughs> she gets asked, so why did you do this? And Lisa's response, I did it for Andy Warhol. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's so yeah. good. <laughs> so we have. Let's compare that with the Kuches. We'll do it for Mike, and it's really just a one one on one comparison there. Because yes. <laughs> because that's the whole thing is that she she like is playing sometimes, but then there's times where she doesn't care, and then she's you know into things, but then also she's just like, why do we? Why are we doing this challenge? Why are we even having a challenge? It's like because it's Survivor, you have challenges. It's it's totally what they've been doing since the first season. She's just like, who cares? Why? I mean, you know, let's whatever. <laughs> That's how it goes. So we have Lisi doing I don't know whatever, and then you have Boo being Boo on on Moto, and and so both tribes have a handicap going into the reward <laughs> challenge. Yes, but guess what? One guy is leading Moto in the dance. I wonder who that might be. Surprisingly, so, not Yao Man. So they get to the village, and you know Jeff is. It, it's fun because Jeff is sort of tantalizing them there because she's like, "Can you smell that food? That food's for you. They've been cooking it all day. The winner gets that. The loser's nothing." And you know, basically, they have to dance their dance, which is called a meke, which we'll have total fun with. You know, I think for 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 a long time here. But uh, they have to dance this dance in front of the whole village, and then there are sort of three elders that are going to be judging them on their. <laughs> On their meke. And uh, Moto goes first. And the camera work on Moto's dance. I mean, if, if you didn't know who the winner was by all the gratuitous helicopter shots that you've had in, uh, in, in episodes past. I mean, this is like, I mean, if Earl ever needed a demo reel for anything in his life, he just needs the next 40 seconds of Survivor that they show of Moto doing the meke. It is like the most hero camera work that has ever been given to someone ever i think yeah earl is just locked in he's locked in he's clearly doing the dance well and they put him in front and he's leading because he's clearly knows what he's doing but the camera work extra is just the, the music is swelling and they're showing earl and just this very powerful leadership sort of into the groove into the dance sort of thing and i mean by the time that the dance is done you're basically like earl you that you should literally sign a contract and do this for a living <laughs> And what struck me about this challenge what struck me about this challenge is they're performing in front of three village elders so it's basically Fiji's got talent <laughs> or they have Fiji such the what WTF yeah. looks on their faces <laughs> I know wait to see scary spice over there well and you also I, so you know as we said Moto gets the big hero music to all the great camera angles I feel like Rob should have gotten like the creaky strings in the attitude band because they're just maybe it's the camera work but they're doing horribly dream Travis makes up for it by doing his signature backflip at the end of it but no they they absolutely biff it on this challenge 
they, they don't do well. Like you could see, like a, there's a moment where it's like Edgardo and either Mookie or Alex or something, and they're completely lost and not yeah. not going everything. And it's you know what's what's funny is, is that it's not it's not even the the Earl camera work. It's like you see the Moto camera work, they're doing the dance, and you see the Ravu camera work, and they're not doing the dance. But then Jeff goes over to the elders, and you know the the elders are very nice. I thought, and you know, it's very un Simon Cowell like with their uh, with their critique on there. But you know, they're basically like, well, they both dressed up. <laughs> and uh, they they had good attitudes, you know, which is always good to start out with the uh, these these weird, stupid foreigners. They're you know, they mean well. Is kind of what what they were thinking about everyone. And then Jeff's like, so it's gonna come down to the execution. Then yes, well, Moto uh, Moto danced. Bravo didn't. <laughs> no, oh no, 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 no. no. <laughs> That's what he's basically saying. It's like the execution. It's like Moto was with the rhythm. Bravo. Ravu did not move to the rhythm, which you can translate into Ravu didn't dance. So Moto wins because they danced. Yep. And then Moto gets a big feast and they get to go hang out at the village and it's a cool scene. Even yeah, Stacy. Stacy has some good scenes here. And who knows? Who knew that Zoe Xanadakis was Fijian because there's lots of lobster here. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the size of that lobster. <laughs> But yeah, going back to Stacy, who was concerned of that shot of her holding a Fijian baby? It's like, ooh, yikes. <laughs> that baby later voted her the babysitter I never want to see again in my life. <laughs> well, I was going to say that baby later wound up in the French press the next day. <laughs> <laughs> it's really simple. Eight just, simple you just, steps. You just crush the skull, put it in the press, press the plunger down, pull out the blood, suck out Push the blood. Push it down, let it sit. There you go. Simple as Feel that. Feel it with vivality. It's really that simple. I don't have to show them. Man, we got dark all of a sudden. All right, so uh, Lisi gets sent to Exile Island, and surprisingly, she wants to quit again. She has another breakdown. This sucks. It's exile. It's not worth it. Oh, wait. No, that's not okay. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> all right, so let's. Uh, we're trying to speed up here. Get through our Edgardo episode here. Uh, we go back to Moto the next day, and this is a, a, ni- a nice little scene where they show Michelle, Michelle and Earl together, where apparently they've had this little partnership since the very beginning of the game where every morning Michelle will kind of pull Earl aside and fill him in on where everybody is so she's like his little spy and this will become important later down the road and Michelle says we need to get rid of Stacy next Stacy is dangerous she's going to flip on us although in a confessional Michelle says well Stacy's just basically me and we don't need two me's so let's get rid of her which I thought was a funny little confessional they also do it with camera work of both of them just like laying out sunning themselves and she says, you know, in function, we both are, are, are identical. So we don't need two of me. And it's like, so differentiate yourself. I'm, I'm just saying, you know. But. Yeah. Just, Meanwhile, Mich- like- Michelle's like the cutest survivor ever. And Stacy's talking about putting a baby in a French press. So they're not exactly alike. I was going to say, it seems, like cowboy, it seems like Cowboy edited this scene because he's talking about how the Asian woman says her and the other Asian woman look alike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cowboy, they brought in guest editor for one episode. All right, and then uh, over on Ravu, Edgardo says we need to worry about dreams. He's going to flip on us with Cassandra at the merge. So we're, we're building up who's going to be the vote for this episode, how it might be Stacy or it might be dreams, and now we're going to go to the immunity challenge, which is the... I'd actually forgotten about this challenge. I didn't remember it until I saw it with the arrows and the blow darts. I also want to point out the weird lead-up that goes up to this immunity challenge, because again, they sort of get... Uh, they get they get the hint that they're going to be doing the they don't they get like a bow or something to practice or just talking about it or yes uh, all that sort of stuff and Edgardo is basically saying here because you know Edgardo's had some confessionals but we haven't had like any real like 
personal Edgardo time, I guess, is, is the, the way to put it here. But Edgardo is basically saying, yeah, I, I, if it's archery, man, if, it, if it's a big thing, let put it on my back. You know, I, I'm, I'm confident in my archery skills is, is this thing. So we're sort of, you know, leading into this challenge like Edgardo is going to be at a make or break archery moment here. Stick a pin in that. Let's go into the challenge. Yeah, it is funny how they edited that because, I mean, so many times over the years they've done that. Oh, I, I have to practice really hard. I'm going to do this. And then they go to the challenge and they'll be the winning one. If you think back to Africa, the big thing about Frank, Frank is going to teach everyone how to shoot archery and then they end up winning because of that. So, yeah, it's interesting why they edited it that way, especially for a character who's not really significant in Ed, as Edgardo. So uh, this is a uh, basic uh, skills with throwing type weapons challenge. The first round is blow darts. And uh, person, you know, everyone on the tribe's gonna go. Person closest basically wins one point for their tribe. The second round is throwing spears. Closest one to the bullseye wins for their tribe, and they get two points. And then the third uh, round is archery, bow and arrow. Closest to the bullseye wins three points. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's it's not just each round is a point. It's like each one is scales. So I guess if you lose the first two rounds and you win the archery round, uh, you can then tie it up and it goes into some sort of overtime, which I guess keeps it exciting and, and gives them a reason to do all three events. Um, so they do blow darts, and you know people sort of hit the board and that sort of stuff. Uh, who gets close? Like, Boo gets close. Boo, yeah, Boo gets, Boo gets close. Yeah. Boo, get, Boo gets close, so Earl doesn't even have to go, and Earl actually doesn't participate in any part of this challenge <laughs> because Moto has such a lead by the end of every round that he doesn't even need to go. Yep, so Boo gets close... Uh, and, and this is the insignificant round, but Boo gets close with the uh, with the blow dart, so wins the point for Moto. So then they get to the spear challenge, and it's like no one can get the spear even close, or they get it, and they like when it hits the 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 target, the big target, the the spear is like sideways, so it just clangs off the off the off the thing it goes. And Dreams finally gets one like right on the edge, and then someone gets one a little closer, and then we get to Yao Man. You know, spears are tough to throw. I've tried to throw one before. They're ridiculously hard to throw straight. So Yao Man, of course, with his an assist from science, comes up there and just blows everyone away and fulfills his destiny of wanting to dog a guy on national TV. And Jeff calls it an evil Knievel, which I guess is Jeff's <laughs> term for doing anything from a distance and accelerating yourself in a, in a forward fashion. Which I'm kind of like that. There's nothing evil Knievel about that. You know, yeah, he's, like, not, he's not jumping over the target with the spear. <laughs> Except at the end, at the end, when Yao Man careens into the target himself and breaks his collarbone. <laughs> yeah. So Yao Man basically takes the approach where he basically gets a long run up, which the run up isn't important, but basically he's holding the spear out super straight because I think Yao Man's basically figured out that you want to get that spear not only with enough momentum going to the target, but it's got to be sort of semi-straight because it's got to stick into the target. So yeah. he sort of gives it the most chance he can by going directly forward and sort of propelling that spear as forward as he possibly, and as straight as he possibly can. And he gets, it's not the best shot in the world, but it's closer than anyone else's by far. So Yao Man again, and then of course he dances back to his mat and then he gets to the mat and then he flexes because he's Yao Man. If anyone has seen the movie Revenge of the Nerds, it's the Lamar Luttrell uh, <laughs> theory of throwing a spear. Yeah, the big elastic spear that's b- bouncing up and down. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so science defeats Ravu in round two, which is good because science is about to kick their ass yeah. even more in round three. So, so, so Yao Man has has had his like, I mean, that that could be it. This this is an A-plus scene for Yao Man. He's 
th- he's gotten the spear round, and so Moto is up 3-0, but we're in the archery round, and this is worth three points, so Ravu could take it with the archery. And remember, Edgardo, he's totally about this, and he's near the end. So you get people like trying with the with the bow and arrow, and there's not very many good shots, and a couple people hit the board, and that's very nice. And then Yao Man gets up there. Yeah, he pulls out all the arrows out of the quiver, and Jeff's like, well, now what could you possibly be looking for? I found the lemon tree. And Yao Man's like, I'm looking for the straightest possible arrow. Yao and Man, Yao- evil Knieveling that arrow. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that, yeah. <laughs> as evil Knievel was wont to do, pulling the, the string back as far as he can. So he so he so he gets he gets the straightest arrow and then he does like a kneeling shot, you know. So everyone else is kind of like standing, you know, in a, like a normal sort of archer position. At Yaman's like kneel, like gets down on one knee and is like aiming the arrow. And of course, Yaman's arrow goes the closest to the target. So Moto's in the lead due to Yaman being awesome. And then it all comes down to Edgardo. And then it looks like Edgardo has never held an arrow or bone arrow in his <laughs> life, like. The Edgardo's like, I'm I'm confident in my archery skills. Let me let me really get this. And you remember that, and then you finally get to the archery thing, and here comes Edgardo to win it for his tribe. And it it literally looks like Edgardo has never held a bow and arrow in his <laughs> life and fires off the most pathetic shot. And Ravu loses, and you're just sitting there going, like, what did I just watch? Yeah. Edgardo's got like the arrow pointing backwards towards him. Like, no, you gotta turn the arrow around, Edgardo. But by the way, I just realized a lot of our our listeners will have no idea who Evil Knievel is because they're young. Well, For those you know, movies- Mario, you already dropped a Henny Youngman reference. So <laughs> You really aren't one to talk. I'm the voice of the kids. I'll talk to the kids. Evil Knievel, for you guys who don't know, he was a daredevil in the 70s who was known for these huge jumps where he'd ride a motorcycle and he'd jump over like buses or he'd jump over like Snake River Canyon. He'd do these these horrific jumps on his motorcycle. So he was a daredevil. So that's Motorcycle jumps or like rocket cars or... Like insane things that should not work by the laws of physics. Exactly. Kind of like a guy throwing a spear. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so when 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 Jeff Probst was like, Yao Man has got an evil Knievel pro- approach, like evil Knievel never not only didn't throw spears, but evil Knievel jumped things in vehicles. <laughs> like there's nothing really up with this, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, the only thing close to evil Knievel would be Keith driving the tuk-tuk later down in, down in Cambodia. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, so, right, so Moto so wins. Yeah. <laughs> Moto has won six nothing. They won every round, and Yao Man won two of the three rounds. Yeah, and there's a great shot of Ravu looking all dismayed after Yao Man just owned them yet again. <laughs> well, even well, even like Lisi during this challenge again, we talked about her like challenge mindset. She often openly scoffs at Alex biffing a shot during this last <laughs> round of the challenge. And I love. I, I we were actually talking about this right before we recorded. I love Lisi this episode because it seems like. They, in this episode in particular, Lisi will do something Lisi-like and goofy, and they always cut almost every time to Dreams just looking dissatisfied. Like, Dreams is the perfect Jim Halpert to Lisi's Dwight in this case. <laughs> Which is funny because, you know, yeah, there's that, but Dreams also can look disgusted because Dreams does pretty well in these challenges. Like, Dreams actually hits the board with the spear. I think Dreams has a decent arrow shot, if I'm remembering right. Like, Dreams, you know, is is actually like doing okay for his tribe, but even some of the other people, like Alex, and like I don't think Alex hit the board with the arrow, and and he definitely didn't hit the board with the spear. Like a bunch of the other people aren't doing well on uh, on on old Ravu there, and and poor Dreams, he's looking, and Lisi, of course, is just doing terribly, and she's laughing about it. So Dreams is not having it. And uh, Lisi has such a nice uh, nice interview right after this challenge. Well, yeah, I'm the surrounded by losers. Yeah. 
That's right. She busts out with these losers. La who, la who, zaher, losers. That's why I said earlier, she thinks she's being, I mean, she's being funny. She's doing shtick. So that's the thing with Lacey. I kind of have to keep in mind with her. And so, and after this, you know, after coming back from XL Island and being the challenge, she's just, her mind is in the game and she's in it to win it. Yeah. Surprisingly, Lisey wants to quit now. <laughs> she's uh, talking about XL Island. I think she tells Alex, I'm not trying to buy real estate, dude. <laughs> well, you can't. Earl bought it all up. <laughs> it's already <laughs> Earl's Island. Uh-huh. I, I want to know if, like, Lisey walked out there and saw that, like, really wonderfully drawn sign that Earl drew and said, oh, Oh, it's Earl Islands. Well, shit. Okay. <laughs> you have to know when it's time to go. I'm done like a Thanksgiving Day turkey. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Lisey comes back. She wants to quit. Alex is pissed because he kind of wants Lisey around because she's loyal. He's like, well, she wants to quit. What kind of loser is this? And and then Dreams, of course, is thrilled about this that Lisey wants to quit. And he's like, I'm so happy. I can't stand Lisey. I'm not even going to take my bags to Tribal Council, which you know is fun because the very next scene is Lisey unquitting she's like i'd like to stay let's vote for dreams just yeah, kind of a fun it, little dichotomy there here's here's my confession so far is one of the things i really remember about my own personal viewing experience uh with survivor fiji when it was out was i remember really just detesting alex a lot i just remember hating him and just not really enjoying his character one bit and as i'm rewatching him i'm not telling you that i've done a complete 180 on him and saying i love alex but I don't understand why I hated him so bad. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not saying that he's great or wonderful or grand or something like that, but especially in these episodes, it, it just seems like the, all of his plans and alliances are like crumbling around him, and he's just he's trying to keep them together, and he's, he can't because of external forces and also the fact that Alex is not magnanimous enough to keep them all together. But, you know, just right here, like, he kept Lisi around over Rocky because he's like, we can count on her vote. She's with us, and now Lisi's like, I want to quit. <laughs> Alex's like, what yeah. the hell? Yeah, that's the thing. Alex isn't really that bad. And I feel bad that I called him douche so many times on the Phony 115 because he's really not that horrible. If you watch this season from his perspective, it's, you know, Alex is a pretty smart guy. He's, he's got a bunch of good plans, but they're always foiled because he's playing with idiots. Like, Dreams will sell him out because you, you can't predict what Dreams is going to do. Lisey will just quit or do something ir- ir- irrational. Then he's got Mookie who's doing everything he can to undercut Alex. So like Alex is like, what can I do? I got all these great ideas and these idiots are ruining it for me. So let's get to tribal council here because uh, a big argument breaks out here between Lisey and Dreams. It's it's pretty entertaining because it's Lisey's last stand, but it's, of course, Lisey's last stand. So it's as kooky as you can possibly imagine. <laughs> well, for, yeah, first at tribal council, we get the shot we talked about earlier. Again, watch for it if you're watching these uh, episodes where they open, they introduce Rocky as the juror and he runs up the steps like Rocky running up the Philadelphia Art Museum. It's just a fun little homage. Yeah, so we get to Tribal Council. Uh, all the heat is on Lisey. Lisey's trying to turn some of the heat on Dreams, and Dreams, of course, has none of it. He says, uh, this is a great quote. Dreams actually has some pretty, pretty good quotes. This is one. Uh, Lisey wants to go home. Call me a genie in a bottle because I grant wishes. So there's your Dreams quote. And now, now they just start going out of each other. Lisey and Dreams are just kind of uh, picking at each other. There's a couple of times that Alex says, and he says it more in the next episode, but he says it a couple times about dreams, which is really funny is he says dreams gets really honest from time to time. And I think that's the thing about dreams is, is it's not necessarily that, but yeah, dreams a lot of times will just straight up tell the truth when it's appropriate or not. And what I love is that when Jeff's talking about, hey, dreams, what are you basing your vote on tonight? And dreams just basically stops and says, 
Lisi said she wanted to go home. Yeah. So let's talk about that. And it's like, you know, he could have danced around it or said, you know, I'm voting this because, you know, blah, blah. And it's just like, you know what? Lisi wanted to go home. I'm voting Lisi. Yeah, it's, he's the liar, liar of Survivor. He has to answer the question when you ask him. Yeah, and, and it, this it, is the just, one. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, Dreams does the, pulls a sort of Judd here where he actually goes down the line at one point and asks everyone, like, do you want to stay? Do you want to stay? Do you want to stay? And he, he gives his own callback here where he says, like, the other guys give one word answers of yes. And then he says, Lisi goes on this Chilingua or a Shaquere <laughs> or whatever it's called. <laughs> yes. No, my, favorite, my favorite interaction of, of this whole part is when, when Dream says, like uh, Jay was saying, he comes out right away and just says, I want Lisi to go home. And then Lisi's response is, I've seen you give up in the middle of a challenge. And then Dreams turns to her and says, you ain't never seen me give up. And she just goes, okay. <laughs> she crumbles. Yeah, Lisi, it's, she loves to argue, but the minute you argue back with her, she crumbles. She's like, okay. Well, remember, this is the same response she gave to Alex coming to her a few episodes ago and saying, Dreams and Cassandra will flip on us at the merge and we're screwed. So it's clear that like, she has ambivalence to nearly every cool. aspect of the game. Whatever. She wants to. <laughs> yeah. And then you know, Dreams, of course, says, I've never, qu- I've never quit in the middle of a challenge. If I die, reciprocate me at the finish line. Another little dr- Dreams quote. It's, it's all good. It's all fantastic. And what I love is that, you know, Dreams does that simple thing, but it's so telling. And the problem is that Lisi tries to talk her way out of it. And it's like, it's, it's so simple because Dreams is basically like, Lisi, do you want to be here? And she's like, well, let me, <laughs> do you want to be here? It's, then he basically then says, you know, Edgardo, do you want to be here? You know it. Alex, do you want to be here? Yes. Mookie, do you want to be here? I know I want to be here. It's a yes or no question, Lisi. Why? And then she just basically says, look, so you're going to make me the bad guy because I have to think about it for a second. And it's like, Lisi, you're fighting for your life. You should probably just say, of course, I want to be here. Like, even if you actually do have to think about it for a second, you probably don't want to admit this right now at Tribal Council just before they're all going to vote. Like it's oh, just it's like horrible an, arguing. You know, it's, horrible. It's it's just like that scene a couple episodes ago where Probes is talking to her and she's like not processing his comments. She just is yeah. going to say what she's going to say. That's exactly what happens here. She has no yeah, idea. She's not processing Dream's comments. She she, she you you think she goes into fight or flight mode, but it basically becomes none of the above. <laughs> yeah. She just doesn't understand what, how to react yeah. to any situation when she's in trouble. When she accuses him of giving up, she kind of presses him on it, and she's like, or he's like, he, Dream says, when? When did I give up? When? And then she just goes, oh, you see, oh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> like, Lin, Lin, tell uh, tell Lin, me the challenge when I quit. Well, I, uh, you see, I can't. <laughs> even better, as in her final words, Lisi is the, the greatest person at these unintentional irony quotes, where she says, uh, I think it's her final word, she goes, they're calling me a quitter. It's not quitting. It's jumping off a sinking ship. I mean, that's kind of what quitting is. <laughs> like if you, if the ship's going down, you jump off. You're quitting. So you're telling me that all those people that like jumped off the top of the Titanic as it was sinking and had human plinko on the way down are Lisi? They're all Lisi, exactly. Uh, Lisi is human plinko. Fantastic. <laughs> and I think Lisi, Lisi here gives, I would say, at least in the top 15 or 10 uh, voting confessionals of all times when she votes for dreams and she just says you're a grown man consider a name change uh, I think it's just fantastic representation of like yes dreams is going to become this really interesting some would say tragic figure of a character but at the end of the day his name is still dreams with a Z at the end of it <laughs> oh Lisi yeah Lisi goes out with a bang this is a fun episode and then she gives Edgardo her hat and then the uh, advice she gives to them just try to hold on to yourselves because together you're nothing. <laughs> she should be a motivational speaker like Danielle. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. Young girls. So let's uh so let's uh eulogize Lisey. Lisey gets voted out unceremoniously, or actually rather ceremoniously. She's out, so the horsemen are left. Yeah, it's funny. Lisey is one of those absolutely unpopular characters in Survivor history, which is funny because as much as I say people tend to hate Rocky, I'd say people tend to hate Lisey even more. Which I, in my opinion of that is you have to take her seriously to hate her. Like I can't possibly take her seriously because she's so just all over the place. She's, I have, like you said, I have no idea why she's on Survivor. Was she Shanghai? Was she on a cruise ship and they Shanghai her? Who knows why she can end up over there? But yeah, she becomes infinitely more entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's infinitely more entertaining if you just sort of think of the fact that like Lisi literally just somehow wandered onto the set and then she just <laughs> became onto the show. Well, I yeah. think that her job she was working at was she was like the reception receptionist at like a psychic um, place or where we could go see a psychic. Like customer service represent. Wait, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't a psychic, a psychic. Would, wouldn't a psychic know you wanted to see her? Why would they need <laughs> exactly. a receptionist to tell them that? <laughs> they don't need a receptionist for that. <laughs> yeah, I just don't take Lisey seriously enough to hate her. I mean, she's comic relief. That's all I see her as. So, so you're telling me so... that you're telling me that the singer of Tidy Whitey shouldn't be taken seriously? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, we should probably mention that uh, for those of you that don't know, and this is sort of exposed on Rob has a podcast. Uh, Lisey came out with a song after her time on Survivor called Tidy Whities, which I've gone on to call the green eggs and ham of erotic music, where she basically just goes down a list of like, have you fucked in a car? Have you fucked in a bar? And she just is, I guess, apparently she's singing to a man and is just sort of interviewing well, him about all of his sexual exploits. Let me, uh, I'm going to pull a Mario here, okay? So Mario loves to tell us, you know, that he was there before any of us knew about this. I'm just giving you a hard time, Mario. But I'm going to say that I knew about this, um, about Lisey's song for a long, 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 long time, way before it became very popular in the Survivor community. Because when she was on um, the Survivor online show on CBS afterwards, they had a section of this whole hour show. And at the end of the show, people could call in. Uh, they'd have random callers come in and this one guy calls in and he goes, oh, yeah, I have a question for Lisey. Um, I, I discovered your album online and I have a question about the song Tidy Whities and why have you not been arrested yet? <laughs> and she goes on to explain that she has this song that she wrote and that uh, basically what it was is, you know, she's a musician and she's at all these concerts and all these like guys try to get with her and they're all these like young boys. And this is pretty much like a checklist. Like if you haven't done these things with me, then she's not interested. So that song is really a checklist of uh, <laughs> if you can hang with her or not. So that's and it. That's her version of that doesn't don't impress me much. Oh, I was gonna well, say it's her version. It's her version of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. So then I like I I actually I bought on iTunes like right after that I bought her this like six she has six tracks I bought and all weird 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 ass ones. She has one that she it's called um, she tries to sing in German. She tries to say um, she says it weird. She says Ich liebe die Sniper. I love the snipers. And it was a response to the <laughs> the shooting in. Um, what are those called? The DC area shooters back in whatever. Yeah, the Metro snipers. Like, the Beltway yeah, yeah, snipers. Metro snipers. The snipers. She yeah. she has this like response about how she like I love the snipers. Yes, I love the snipers. Yes, I love it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> and so like and she has this music video of her with the whitey tidies and all the stuff. So she was like, she was always crazy, and I knew about that way back when. So when it came out several years later, it was very very popular. I was like, I've been on this Lisey bandwagon for a long time, and I've shown a lot of people this uh, this whack job. Well, Paul is a connoisseur of uh, musical erotica. <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like that. Yes. 
<laughs> Again, that's Paul, the school teacher who works in this school district. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't get how people can hate Lisey. I mean, she's a survivor character. She's an odd duck. Let's just leave it at that. But there's the thing at the end with the jury question. That's a big thing. I'm I'm, I'm not even going to get into that because we'll talk about it at the end where people say, what a horrible racist she is. And then I can't even imagine that she was trying to be racist in that scenario. I think she's just being... She's just being Lisey. She's weird. She's a weird person. <laughs> yes. But we do know that it takes, it's, it's, it's going to take a lot. You have to get up awfully early in the morning <laughs> to pull one past her. So the good news is that, that I was saying the good news is that Paul has done 14 of those things. So he's almost impressed Lisey. Almost one at a time. <laughs> we got to take it one at a time. <laughs> and speaking of one at a time, let's merge. Let's merge. But, for, but first, we have this little. So we're we're going back here to the the th- the four horsemen commiserate here, and they're s- still sort of worried about. You know, we didn't tell Dreams that he had the idol, and this is now sort of weighing on our heads because what if he finds out? There's this really like funny little soundbite here where uh, I think they're on the boat, and Gardo tells Mookie, "I'll kill you if you use that idol to fuck me over." Which, hey, uh, we're gonna be talking about that in about like forty minutes at this rate. <laughs> yeah. That- is that now or is that a little later in the in the thing? But you're right. They yeah. they talk about just now before the merge. They they bring it up again because it is a point. And it, again, you know, idols get very complicated. And and you know, in this process, idols are still kind of new. But you can see here that you, you know when Yule found the idol, he talked about you know who he was going to share it with, and he shared it with Becky right away. And then he finally let the I two four in on it. And then he let everyone in on it, you know, because he had the God Mode idol and stuff like that. And, you know, it's like Earl and Yao Man are keeping very tight-lipped about their idol. And, you know, it's it's Yao's idol and Earl knows. But it's like the horsemen all found the idol together. But it's like they're the four horsemen, but three of them found the idol and they don't trust the fourth. That's not a good equation. It just isn't. <laughs> and and lo and behold, it's going to bite them in the ass. That's not how deals work, Lil. That's really not how deals work, Lil. So yeah. they bring it up again, and it's the editors just pointing it to remind you. But the horsemen have an idol. Mookie has it, and they're not telling dreams. Yeah, and Mookie's for, even for, going for like, on. For like the next like 20 minutes until Mookie well, decides to blurt it out to dreams. <laughs> look, look, look. Right now, as they're going to the merge, they're like, we have this idol, the four horsemen, but only three of us know. But Mookie has it, and Mookie... I don't know if the, he's had confessionals, but at some point in here, and I'll just mention it now, he does talk to the camera and he says, well, you know, I guess technically the four horsemen have an idol, but it's in my pocket, so it's mine. Yeah. And so it's like, well done. You, you, as Mario said earlier, you juxtapose Earl talking about Yao's idol with Mookie basically saying, it's my idol. It's not theirs. It's mine. And it's like, this is not going to end well for the horsemen. Yeah, the setup and... Fall of the the fall of the four horsemen is set up so well. It's absolutely one of the greatest storylines in Survivor history. Just from if you watch how the editors lay it out. And what's funny is that when you think about it, and I think when people think about Survivor Fiji, I think one of the main things that they do think about is the the four horsemen and sort of the fall of the four horsemen, which leads into the Edgardo boot, which is coming up. Not this episode, but coming up. But like. You know, I used to think of that as, ah, oh, the Four Horsemen, they were all so smug and so, you know, they got, they got their, their smugness just knocked down a page. And I wouldn't even, wouldn't even on the rewatch say that the Four Horsemen are smug, but it is set up so well. They are this group, they have this idol, they are trying to take control of the game with said idol, and it doesn't work out. And I think that the, just, just the way that the story is told is so masterful, and you're getting little snippets here and there, and you're getting this fact that they're not telling dreams about the idol, Mookie is, you know, being selfish about the idol, 
and we're going to get more talk about that coming up. But basically, we're going to go into the we're basically going into this merge because they're both going to get tree mail right now that basically says, "Leave all your crap and go to Exile Island right now." And they're going, and they're sort of worrying about it. But it's like as the horsemen are going into the merge, three of the four of them know about the idol that Mookie is keeping, and he's not necessarily planning to share with everyone. Yep. All right. So let's. I'm zipping ahead here. I want to get through the Edgardo episode uh, here. So, and, uh, and that's, you, it's fitting because this episode, I was going to say, like, I have probably the fewest notes on this episode. It's a lot of setup for yeah. things to happen. There's yeah, not like more, a lot it's of. It's more of like uh, less of like a character oriented episode, and more of like an event oriented episode where they go to they go to exile, they stumble around for a bit, they go back to camp. There's no shelter. Then they have this challenge. Then one group gets separated. So it all happens pretty quickly. Yeah. So, so basically, just, I was going to yeah. point out the tribe name. They. They get together and they have to name this again. This is the official merge, and they name their tribe Bula Bula, which means hello, hello, which basically means they name their tribe Anyang. <laughs> wow, that's right. Uh, the rest of development it. joke of the day. Yes. So what's what's funny is that you know it's the setup, which which is so great when you think about it. Just everything is they they both tribes get a mail basically saying go to Exile Island. Uh, you know, and leave all your crap. So they're both basically thinking there's a merge. But what's funny is that they're both sort of thinking, what's funny is that Cassandra is basically freaking out going, I don't know if I could mm-hmm. actually do Survivor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No couch, no bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how, you know, which is funny because as they pointed out, Boo and Cassandra have never left the... Uh, or the or Stacy. Or Stacy. The three of them have never left the Moto camp. And, you know, Earl's basically talking about how, like, you know, if if we've got to live on Exile Island, that's fine. I mean, you know, I've, I've done it before. So it's this whole thing where they they all go to Exile Island. And at Exile Island, Jeff's not there. They just left a note basically saying, here, you're merged. Here's buffs. Go back to Moto. And they're all super excited because they're going to go back to Moto. But you realize the plot device for why they went out to Exile Island. It's because the time it took them to go to Exile Island, all the producers went in there and they took the entire Moto camp down. So when they get back to Moto, there's no palatial mansion of anything there which you know they all freaked out about it's a nice scene it was just a nice little scene and i love it because it's so well edited because you get this big alex confessional when they're paddling back of like oh i can't i'm gonna i'm gonna have a turn in the bed i'm gonna drink some coffee it's gonna be great and then just to have them show up to the camp and it be completely desolate and just to see how crestfallen alex is gonna look uh it it pales in comparison to how crestfallen he's gonna look in about three days from now but it's still fantastic to watch (laughs) But basically, you know, what this episode is, for the most part, it's it's them sort of cobbling a shelter together. But a lot of it is just posturing, and it's very interesting posturing. I'm not the biggest fan of just sitting around and watching posturing on Survivor. But this one is really good because you sort of have these camps going on where you have the horsemen, you know, and, and they're trying to basically pull over. They're like, if we could pull over Stacy, you know, and booze and, and, and sorry, and Dreams has Cassandra. So if we could get Cassandra and Stacy, we can get some advantage going on our side. And, you know, you have Team Earl and, and Michelle and 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 uh, and Boo and, and Cassandra sort of, you know, trying to figure out, pull maybe pull Dreams over. But what's funny is that these camps are basically trying to vie for power and Dreams is stuck in the middle. And that's what makes all of this super good. To the merge, Mookie's starting his magic he's starting to work everybody over trying to get some defectors to join the horsemen and then in his infinite wisdom mookie decides to tell dreams by the way we have the idol dreams we just never told you yeah this is caught up in like we we talked a little bit about you know boo had a little bit of a spike of visibility at the at the swap here where he says like oh my millions got a few roadblocks in it but then we basically didn't hear from him except for his white boy dancing and now he's a very even though this 
this you know Mookie and Dream stuff happens, he's a very likely person to go should this unexpected twist not happen because it seems like even though there are sort of two warring factions going on right now, they all seem to somehow come to this agreement to get rid of Boo for being too schemey. Uh, him and Stacy are kind of... You talked about Dreams being in the middle. I feel like Boo and Stacy aren't necessarily in the middle as much as they're sort of outliers that will become yeah. easy boots uh, where the two groups don't have to outright fire at each other as much as they can kind of take out the people that are standing by the wayside. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's Earl, Yao, Cassandra... Uh, and basically, Michelle. and Michelle on one side, and then you have the four horsemen on the other side. So, like, Boo and Stacy are like extraneous pieces. And, you know, the, the horsemen talk about maybe pulling over Stacy, perhaps, you know, and you see that a little subplot with Alex basically trying to, you know, pull in Stacy, which he, you know, for more or less does. But, you know, no one really thinks about Boo. They're all just basically like, well, Boo, yeah, you could go. So, Boo sort of becomes visible in the sense that he becomes a target boot, which is sort of outlying from both tribes. But yeah, what's funny is that they're talking about getting rid of Boo and maybe getting rid of Stacy. And during this talk where they're talking to, to, to Dreams, Mookie basically says, oh yeah, we have the idol, by the way, which, <laughs> which Dreams is totally not happy about. Because Dreams is like, why didn't you tell me at the time? And he even as a confessional, basically like, well, I don't trust them now because they didn't tell me. And it's like, again, you probably should have let him in on it or you just don't tell him at all. And what's funny is that then you get that scene on the boat where it's Alex and Mookie and Edgardo and, you know, and Alex is like, yeah. Uh, Mookie totally told Dreams about it. Ned Garo's like, well, now he's going to tell Cassandra and Cassandra will tell Earl. So they all know, which <laughs> yeah. is correct, right? So it's, it's like, literally what happens. It's literally what happens. And then Ed Garo's like, you know, this better not screw us over. And it's like, it will. Don't worry. So I love how Edgardo says um, that you need to keep the idol between three or two people. Three or two people. Yeah, three or two. Yeah, and it doesn't help that after that, they're like, okay, so after Boo, what do we do? And initially, Dream says, like, okay, yeah, Dreams and Mookie say, okay, we're going to take out Stacy. And then Alexander and Garo are like, no, I think we could sway Stacy. We could probably keep her around. And then this is sort of sends up warning flags and Mookie and Dreams' heads of like, oh, maybe if it comes down to the five of us with Stacy, they're going to go the Moto way and take Stacy above us. So we're going to grow a little more wary of these two guys now, which again, gr growing cracks form in this alliance. Which is funny because you think about, you know, when you think about the season, you think about the four horsemen, you think about these four guys. And I, I guess it's three guys plus Dreams who's, you know, sort of the wild card and all of this factor. But, you know, what you do see it here is that Mookie sort of sees the writing on the wall. He's basically like, oh, they're pulling Stacy over. Alex and Edgardo are. So there are three. So, like, if we control the game and we get down to five people, it's me and Dreams on the outs. And they have Stacy to vote with them. So even now, Mookie's like, I'm screwed. And so you could see him not not regretting his alliance or backing out of his alliance. I mean, clearly he's not, uh, depending on what's going on in episode 10. But it's like you could see already that Mookie is already seeing that this horseman thing's not all it's cracked up to be. All right, let's get to the twist here. The un un uh, undisputed uh, champion of the most bullshit twist in Survivor history, as people like to call it. Oh, so they get to boy. the immunity challenge, and... Basically, what happens is that uh, instead of having an individual immunity challenge, they basically get split up into two tribes. They pull, you know, uh, colored rocks or discs or whatever like that, and they basically get put into two tri or two different teams, not even tribes, just a green team and an orange team. The green team is Alex, Dreams, Michelle, Mookie, Stacy. The orange team is Boo, Cassandra, Earl, Edgardo, and Yao Man. And basically, Jeff Probst says, you will be running this challenge as these two teams, and what's going to happen is the winning team is going to get steak and veggies and a skillet, 
and they won't go to tribal council. So, but and the losing team will go to tribal council. Also, I have a note, and the note, spoiler alert, will basically say you're going to tribal council right the frick now. Yeah. yeah so, I'm so I'm so glad the notes carry over from Cook Islands. It's <laughs> yes. they had some extra parchment there. Yeah. Uh, this is a great. Good. It's a great twist because they split up the tribes and basically Michelle is now Anthony. It's like, oh, it's four people against me. This will be fun. Yep. So basically they, they, they run the challenge. The challenge is a pretty cool one in the sense that they start out on the boat. They're looking at a pattern sort of on a, on a, on a Fijian mask. And they have to go row the boat. And there's three stations. They have to use a tool to kind of unspool a bag of puzzle pieces at each station. And then they have to take the three bags, row to the end, uh, undo the puzzle pieces, put together these symbols, and then they have to rearrange them on the little board as to what it was at the start, right? And, you know, basically the challenge sort of gets uneventful because, y- you know, Yao Man's team, the the Earl uh, Yao Man team, basically can figure out how to unspool the puzzle pieces really quickly. The other team can't. They basically have a large advantage. They win. Yeah. Can we talk about this is also like the umpteen challenge in a row that Yao Man crushes and even in the in the previously on in the next episode jeff emphasizes in his narration how not only does yao man unspool the pieces so quickly that it gets the orange team out to a big lead but he also makes a last minute switch in the at the end with the puzzle that gives the orange team the win at the end of the day so before long before jeff was hyping up cochran as this come from behind nerdy kid who was defying the unthinkable and and winning challenges yao man was doing it way ahead of his time I should also point out that in the middle of this challenge, they start playing the music that would later be known as the blindside music at Tribal Council. Did you guys catch that when you watched it? Yeah, yeah no. it's the, the whole blindside theme in Tribal Councils. It, it, it may be the first time they played it in Survivor. I don't remember. Paul might know that. But it's in the middle of this challenge if you listen for it. I didn't even notice it. Good ear, Mario. Nice. You, way, to, way to go. Way to, way to stump Paul. So uh, if, if you notice now, so then he reads a note and basically says, well, you're going to Tribal Council right now. So you get Boo and, and them, they're eating steaks. So we get to Tribal Council, which some funny things happen. But if you're looking at this team that goes to Tribal Council mm-hmm. after the Merge Tribe, it's Alex, Dreams, and Mookie, which are three of the four horsemen. And then you have Stacy, whom they are basically have said we're pulling along as our fifth. So you have four Please call of her the five. Saint Stacy, thank you. <laughs> okay. So you have four of the <laughs> five Four Horsemen Alliance, basically, there, and Michelle. So, writing's on the wall, basically. So, if you were part of that orange team and you were Earl, Cassandra, or Yao Man, do you throw that challenge? Do you look over the other side and you say, oh, woof at Michelle. Look, we have a majority here. Let's vote off Boo, the easy target, or even, you know, shots fired at the other alliance and vote off Edgardo. Or do you really try to play for the win here? The answer is you throw it. But I don't think that, you know... I, I think that people just don't think that way, Mike, to tell you the truth, and I think that they should. I mean, I, I feel like the smart play is to throw it, but, you know, you could also just bank on the fact that the other team's going to have, you know, a really unstable alliance and Dreams is involved and it's going to crumble. Yep, so the Orange Tribe loses and we're about to lose Michelle. So things get, yeah. things get pr- a little interesting here, though. It's not as concrete as jay stated because as mookie and dreams talked about before you know now there's an opportune moment where mookie can sort of defy alex's plan and say i want to vote off stacy now uh so that you know she doesn't become a threat down the line and he tries to take a shot but you know much like 
Omar Little, if you shoot for the king, you best not miss. He does miss because Dreams completely misconstrues something that Michelle told him at Tribal Council, apparently. So they're going down the line here, and as a result, Michelle goes home. Well, there's that, but also you can see Dreams is swayed by... He's easily swayed by, by people and ideas and things like that. And, you know, Dreams does say that, you know, he, he didn't like what Michelle had to say. But also Alex really lays it out as well. And so the question always, when people talk about how screwed Michelle was by this twist, not only was it the team challenge, but also that they had to go to tribal council immediately and not really have discussion time. My, my question to you is this. Let's say they didn't have to go to tribal council right away. Let's say they had a couple hours to scramble. Do you think Mookie convinces Dreams to vote out Stacy over Alex, telling him to stick with the four horsemen and vote out Michelle? I think Cassandra convinces Dream to vote out uh, to vote let's out say, let's, let, Michelle. Let's say that Cassandra is not involved, because I think I think you're right. I think Cassandra could uh, convince Dreams, but I'm thinking like if it's just the five of them uh, having to scramble, I don't think Mookie convinces Dreams over Alex. Is what I'm trying to say. So anyway, we get to the Tribal Council. Are we Are we all still here? <laughs> we're still here. We're still here. We're just un- we're uninterested. <laughs> we're, un- we're uninterested. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we'll speed through this. So we get to Tribal Council. Basically, Alex lays out the two, the one marker for Dreams, and then Michelle gets the other one, where Jeff is basically saying, hey, can I have reasons for voting these people out? And Alex, he basically says to Alex, do you have a reason for voting out Michelle? And Alex basically says, well, I don't know her all that well. And he says, do you have a reason to vote out Stacey? No. Do you have a reason to vote out Dreams? No. So basically, Alex says, I'm voting for Michelle. And Dreams basically says it out loud, like, that man just told me who he's going to vote for. You know, and it's this whole sort of thing. And then Michelle basically says, well, you know, Dreams, he's on the other side. I don't know him that well. And apparently that didn't sit well with Dreams. Also that Michelle's like, I haven't allied with Dreams much yet. So Dreams basically votes for Michelle. But everyone else sort of does and Michelle goes home. See ya, Michelle. Yeah, this is one of those times in Survivor history where someone is is voted out at the end of an episode when they were in absolutely no danger whatsoever walking into the episode. It's one of these episodes that people hate. They hate this episode. Well, she even has a scene with Stacy where they're painting the flag and they say like, okay, usual merge rhetoric is that you target the big athletic guys and you even have these two warring factions going after each other of guys. We're sort of in the background right now. Let's just sort of blend in. We're going to be okay. And it's only because... The two of them happen to be thrust in a situation where they're put into the limelight because the other three guys are determining their fate, that they're susceptible. And yeah, I mean, I don't understand what the purpose is behind this twist, if only just to keep stirring the pot. Whereas, I mean, I feel like even just getting rid of the Moto Camp was stirring the pot enough. I I find absolutely, I mean, Mario, you can give sort of a reason to do the haves versus have-nots twist. I can't Uh see any sort of logical reason to have this happen at the merge. It makes no sense. Yeah, there's no reason for this other than the producers just wanted to have a twist here. And, it, and again, it wouldn't be that bad. Like, if you lost somebody like Mookie here, like, no one would care. But Michelle was an exceptionally popular character and really kind of still is to this day. She always shows up on lists of people who got screwed, people, like, had no chance, like, that was bullshit what happened to her. So people have rebelled against this one for years. And I think for good reason. There literally is no reason for this twist to happen. It's just the producers just want something to happen here. No, it reminded me of Thailand, but the, but they made a very big point to, to say that the tribes were merged. Like, they made the tribes merge, gave them new buffs, and then split them back up into teams, and not even their old teams, just random teams. 
You know, whereas like with Thailand, they put them on the same beach, but you're not merged yet and you're going to run challenges. And then, you know, one 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 tribe who's on the same beach is going to tribal council and the other one sort of has to wait for him. It just reminded me of that. But they were like, no, 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 not not that they felt like, you know, the, the stuff in Thailand was a mistake, but they're basically like, we're going to do a Thailand like thing, but sort of. I mean, in this not yeah, a uh, conventional merge, but it's also the first time since Gretchen that a woman goes out first at the merge. I believe, yeah, and that's, I and think, that's, right? That's, well, and, uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, wait, no, uh, it was Thailand, right? No, Thailand, Ken goes oh, out Ken at, the, at, the, at the time of the merge. But, I mean, it, yeah, right. it, it proves exactly what they were talking about earlier in the episode, that the usual person to get rid of is a guy, and especially, especially, you know, we do get rid of Anthony and Rocky, but it is still a male-heavy cast at this point. And, you know, I feel like Boo was the next one to go. She was an unfortunate casualty here, and I would consider her probably one of the more unfair boots. Again, some people are, are fine with whether a boot is unfair or fair. She's still gone at the end of the day. But still, it's just a bunch of really sucky circumstances all put together that brought Michelle from a really good standing at the beginning of the episode to a really bad one at the end of it. Yeah, and you can make the argument she was probably going to get very far in this game. I mean, she was Earl's number two. I mean, remember that scene with her in the morning going and giving her all the intel? Like, they were really tight. So... And there's a very good chance she's in the final episode. I mean, I don't know if she wins or not, but she's there's a good chance she's there. Because when is she ever going to be targeted at any point now that well, we get to this point in the game? It's just and again, I totally agree with you, Mike, that I I don't get into that whole, you know, people got screwed, you know, they should have done I mean, you know, twists happen in Survivor, it happens. But Michelle is one that does stand out to me where it really she it, she was voted out and it was not anything to do with her fault. She had nothing to do with it, and there's nothing she could have done. Nope, but she goes home, and what's what's also funny just uh, as that is that it was three votes for Michelle. The two votes that 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 weren't for Michelle were Michelle herself and Mookie, who voted for Stacy. So if it wasn't Michelle, it was Stacy going home. So, you know, the the two girls talked about how they wouldn't be targeted, and they were both targeted. Oh my god! Could you have imagined if Stacy went home and it was Lisi and Stacy and Rocky in Ponderosa? Rocky would might actually have hung himself with his T-shirt if that <laughs> if it was at that point. And just to further the point that Dreams is very unpredictable, you don't know what he's going to do, like this totally could have been the Dreams is the nail in the coffin that votes Stacy out here, yet he just doesn't, even though the entire buildup was Dreams hates Stacy and wants to end her game because right. she's been mean to him. So it's just Dreams is all over the place. But like I said, he's easily swayed. But you're going to have this uh, fun thing where, where Michelle goes home, it's, it's unfair, but... Starting episode ten, one of one, one of the better episodes that we've that, that that's out there. Um, you start out really with Mookie basically saying, "Dreams, you screwed us, man. Like we could have <laughs> voted out Stacy." And Dreams is like, "Look, man, Horseman, vote out Michelle." And yeah. he's like, "No, dude." And he's like, "Aren't we Horsemen? We are, but we're not. But we are, but we're not." And this is just Mookie basically, you know, going himself. And then Alex basically talking to Mookie like, "What the hell, dude?" And you know, Mookie was basically defending his voting for Stacy by saying, "Well, I didn't." I didn't know that was fully the strategy. I thought we left it at that. And Alex then is, you know, and Alex is basically just trying to keep this horseman tribe together because, you know, they voted out Michelle, but Mookie voted for Stacy. And, you know, Alex wants to keep Stacy along. So he's just trying to hold this ship together. So he basically looks at Mookie and says, hey, man, maybe we should rotate holding the idol. <laughs> yeah, I do have to say. Going into this episode, for people who don't know, this is the famous Fall of the Four Horsemen episode. This is the Edgardo episode. We're going to start on this one here. And this episode very well just have been re uh, should have been subtitled, God damn it, Dreams. 
Because <laughs> he's just going to fuck people over the entire Well, episode. considering that Dreams gets distracted by a bug flying around when he's trying to talk to Mookie, <laughs> I think that's very indicative of his entire attitude towards his alliance at this point. Yeah, this is going to be a mess. This is going to be a fun mess, this episode. It's, but I mean, it's all an interesting thing where, you know, we talk about Dreams just screwing it up and Dreams being mercurial, which he is. But it's also a lack of Alex and Edgardo and, and Mookie in a lot of ways in the sense that, you know, you have to you have to manage your allies as well as, you know, everyone else as well. You know, you have to see that Dreams feels disenfranchised and Dreams has spent a lot of this season being disenfranchised. I mean, he, he was on, he didn't get, he didn't get along with people on Moto and he was like, yeah, me and Cassandra, we're totally going to flip at the merge. And then, you know, he gets in a new situation at the swap and stuff like that and he falls in with the horsemen, but like, then they basically are like, yeah, we didn't tell you about the hidden immunity idol. You're on the outs. And it's like, they're not doing a good job keeping dreams into the fold. So it's almost like a, what did you expect kind of deal with all this? Yeah. Which is funny. Cause we immediately go over to Moto and, uh, or the new Moto and Earl is like, you know, I lost Michelle last night. I lost my eye, my allies. So now he's trying to think who do I bring in? He's going to bring in boo. He's going to bring in dreams. And Earl comes to the same conclusion. Like, like we, I can't trust dreams. He's a train wreck. So everyone on both sides now realizes dreams is kind of a train wreck. We're not entirely sure what to do with this guy. All right, so I get, uh, what do we got here? I, I wrote in my notes that we have another Earl helicopter shot. We show yes. Earl standing on the Eclipse. So, and Take he's like nursing, nursing a baby bald eagle back to health. And there's like a big rainbow around him. It's like the, the Earl, the, the 15th Earl winner shot of this season. Yeah, this What's is, all about- and, and he's got like this confessional of like, well, I'm in this point in the chess game where I've lost a couple pieces, but I'm ready to move forward. And you're like, yep, he's, he's, he's still winning. It's yeah. going to happen. I don't know how, but he's, he's going to win this game. You know, sometimes when people have an, a, a, a confessional, they're like, man, my plan isn't working out. I need to think of something else. It's kind of got that sort of panic behind it. Like, oh, yeah, what are they going to do? But Earl's like, I lost Michelle. That's unfortunate. I guess I'll have to win another way. <laughs> like, He's like okay. Waterman or Wooderson. All right, all right, all right. What do I got to do? <laughs> yeah, he, Earl never gets flustered. That's the funny thing about him. Oh, is it time for the Slam Book Reward Challenge? It's time yes. for the Courtney Merritt Memorial Slam Woo-hoo! Book Challenge. Yeah, this is the one where, again, we've seen it before. They ask questions about all the contestants. Who would you trust with your life? Who don't you want to live with? And they have to answer. And then they try to vote on the consensus. And uh, whoever gets the, the right answer gets to smash someone else's tower. It's basically the Coconut Chop Challenge from Marquesas. But here it's a very cheap-looking tower set. It's not yeah. nowhere near as fun as the one on Amazon where they smash each other's faces with logs. Well, it's, it's very reminiscent of the ancient Fijian legend of when Godzilla came. So they're just honoring that culture. Yes. <laughs> Yikes. So we a couple good notes in here. Uh, I'm sure you guys wrote them down. Well, I just want to say my favorite little Cassandra moment. She gets. I mean, she's the badass of the challenge. She gets everyone right. That when she gets the club and it's her turn to go first, she goes, "Just random anybody." <laughs> Jeff goes, "It's not, not random." You're telling it's not random. Them out. It's not how deals work, Lil. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, the, the one that I it struck me when I was watching this is, who would you most trust with your life? And they all vote Earl. And I love when that challenge comes up because like, isn't that a warning? This person's probably going to win the season. And I always wonder that because the person that gets voted, who would you trust the most, always ends up doing quite well. And I always sure. think if I was in the game, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a warning to you? Well, I'd always want to trust Earl because he always has seemed to have a helicopter around him. It seems like he's just the safest person out here. He'll always yep. transport me to safety. 
Yeah, watch the helicopter. Watch where it goes. <laughs> Predict- predictably, Coconut Chop weighs the two people that we've talked about that are like on the out of the Horseman slash Earl Alliance are Boo and Stacy for the most part. And Boo and Stacy are the first people who get out in this challenge. But they're they're uh, they're quickly followed by Alex and Earl. So sort of the big the big kingpins are sort of taken out. So this is you know the, they're they're sort of wise to the Coconut Chop challenge these days. So you know it sort of gets down to it gets down to dreams and uh, and Cassandra at the end. But you get a couple of really good questions in here and a lot of Stacy hate. Yeah, who do you never want to see again after this game? And it's unanimous for Stacy. <laughs> and there's some and really then- great <laughs> Stacy subtle stuff going on here to the point of where so she's uh, the first eliminated, and there's two benches since there's obviously nine people left. She's just on the front bench in the in the front seat. You'll notice that the next four people make a habit of filling up the bench behind her. So they none of them want to sit next to her at all to the point of where they're all willing to squeeze in together Rocky and Edgardo style onto that back bench just <laughs> and, to stay away from her. And, 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 and as if it's not enough to like tell Stacy, no one wants to see you after this, we have to make you feel like you completely wasted your time out here by saying who has wasted this great opportunity. It's just one of those things. You get the sense that Stacy was this horrible person this season. And there's all these clues, but we never see it. And it's staggering to me that they don't actually show Stacy's reaction to this after. Like Courtney Merritt in, in Exile Islands, like, well, that sucked hearing all that stuff about you. Like, we never get a confessional from Stacy afterwards saying how horrible that was that everyone just slammed her. It's just it's like really? You don't even give her a chance to rebut all that? That's horrible. There's even there's even the question who smells the worst, which the the, the winner was dreams, right? Oh yeah, but doesn't yes. Yao Man say Stacy? And Earl, <laughs> yes. and Earl is beside himself. He cannot stop laughing at all. Everyone making fun of Stacy throughout this challenge. Yeah, I would love to see some of the cutting room, uh, some of the the footage they left in the cutting room of Stacy just being horrible that we never saw in the episodes. Because apparently, it's quite unanimous that no one likes her. And again, they all hate Cassandra too. Yet they still hate Stacy more. So anyway, Cassandra wins this thing, and uh, she gets to the reward is she gets to go on a yacht, and you know, gets to you know eat food and you know be on a yacht basically. And she gets uh, she back at camp. They don't tell her to do it on the spot, but back at camp, she she can take three other people. Yep, she picks uh, who she picks. She picks Dreams, Boo, Boo. and Yao Man. Yeah, and she's Yao like, Man. I pick the three people that I want to form an alliance with. Well, the person she didn't form an alliance with was Mookie, who's so pissed off that he gets yeah. sent to exile and says it's that so, it's she so just made the that... worst decision of her life. Yeah, yep. basically, Cassandra becomes Mookie's Eliza, where like he swears vengeance against her, which is so funny that like it's just ridiculous of all the people. And again, maybe we're not seeing anything, but of all the people to you know to try to be your kill bill here, Cassandra being the person is just ridiculous <laughs> on paper. It's the natural rivalry of Mookie and Cassandra. But the one other one thing that comes out of this scene that's kind of interesting is that, you know, Mookie finally gets to read the clues at Exile Island and he realizes, oh, there's two idols. There's one at each beach and Earl has been to Exile Island every time and these clues are ridiculously easy to figure out. So he figures out correctly that Earl must have the other idol. And this will become important to this episode. It will become important to this episode, so so that's that's important to note. And then we get some incredible Cassandra alliance building on the yacht. We don't need to talk about it a lot, but it's just a lot of, so we're all here, so you want to be in an alliance? Mm-hmm. So we're solid, to- right? We're solid in our alliance now? 
No, yeah, Yao does the legwork here. Uh, and yeah. he's actually, you know, we're going back to his really evil thoughts here where he talks about how he wants to basically kidnap Dreams on this boat and brainwash him. And he even calls their alliance the Syndicate, which actually doesn't get mentioned a few times. Uh, I think that's like the official name for it on the Survivor Wiki, but Jeff Probst never mentions it, unlike the Four Horsemen. But yeah, Yao Man seems to be, uh, maybe that's the reason why Cassandra brought Yao Man is because she knew like he's the hammer in this situation. Yeah. Well, they get him drunk too. It involves alcohol. You got to get Dreams drunk and then you brainwash him. I will say there's a very profound quote with Dreams. You know, as, as, as crazy as Dreams is all over the place, his thought process, you never know what he's going to say, what he's going to do, who he's with. Then all of a sudden he'll pull out this really profound quote like, I'm being tugged in every direction except my own, which is actually a really interesting quote. I, I just kind of wrote it down as something you wouldn't think to come out of his mouth. Well, no, here's the thing with Dreams is that Dreams is very smart and he's very perceptive. Uh Maybe not not book smart or something like that, but he's very perceptive. He can read people pretty well, mm-hmm. and and not just not just that. He knows himself and he knows situations that he's in. You're you're right, Mario. It's not just this, but in a lot of situations, he has the absolutely correct read on what's going on. But he doesn't always make the right decision based on that read. You know, he yeah. he reads something really well, but then he'll his decision making is he usually just goes with the, his heart or his you know his gut or not even those things, but just you know, he can get pulled and he can get swayed. And, you know, he, you know, he can basically say, you know what? I shouldn't eat this apple because, you know, it's not what I need at this moment. And then someone come up and go, dude, this apple's delicious. Oh, I know. Let's eat it. Right. It's <laughs> like, it's not, it's not, it's not like a, a problem. It's just, he just doesn't always act on those reads, which is, yeah. all, I think, infuriating if you're like a looking in for the strategy and stuff, because, you know, Dreams makes these awesome, awesome reads. And you're like, man, act on that. No, he's not. He's going to do something else. Well, yeah, the thing, and to further, to go along with that, it's basically Dream sees, some, sees something and he wants it. Yeah. Like, oh, I, got, I want this, I, got, I see that, I need it. And this will come into play very heavily with the car curse later down the road. And in fact, I think it was Yao Man. Was it Yao Man or was it Probe? Someone wrote a really interesting essay about the mentality of people that grow up homeless like Dreams did. Like, if you have a chance to get something, you take it because you may yep. not never get it again. It's a really interesting way of looking at how Dream's background has shaped the way he makes decisions. He sees something, he wants it, he takes it. Can we talk about the fact that the next day at this water well when Dream's and Alex are talking, Dream's is the one that pulls out a literary reference over Alex. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's pretty amazing here. Where So Dream's is basically recapping how the syndicate or Yao and, and Cassandra and Boo basically told him like, okay, we're going to target Alex this round uh, because he seems to be you know, a pretty big figurehead of the four horsemen. So I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. And Alex says, well, I think Mookie could probably use the idol on me. And Dream's, you know, again having a pretty good read says like no i mean he's sort of you know like Gollum with the ring so leave it to dreams to really quote lord of the rings before alex does well i, mean, I, I will, I will movie, suppose the, right, the movie, like alex, movie's yeah. been out by then so <laughs> yeah there is that but still it's it's not it's literary it's it's still a, a highbrow movie right so it's like uh-huh. dreams is like the guy with the ring it's it's my precious you know it's, it's like dreams drops the Gollum, and he's totally right because mookie is basically like i'm not giving up that idol very easily so, but, but here's, here's this, this episode, why it's so good is in emotion is that basically dreams has started really this, this sort of roller coaster that we're going to go on right now, where he basically says to Alex, by the way, they're targeting you. And Earl walks up to them while this conversation is happening. And so now dreams, this is, this is like a, a basically like a tale of two alliances here where dreams is just trying to appease everyone. And so Earl catches them and then he goes to Cassandra and says, well, I don't trust dreams now because I saw him consorting with the enemy. And so now dreams has this conversation where he's just letting his mouth run 
to Cassandra and Earl being like, this is why you need to trust me. And he, much like Mookie did last episode, lets it slip. Oh, by the way, Mookie has the idol. (laughs) And what's great is that, you know, then Earl plays it off. And what's great is that Earl is confirming, right? Because Earl has seen an immunity idol. Yes. So so what does it look like? What does it look like? He's like, well, it's it's like a it's like a turtle, and Earl's like, it's a turtle, a turtle. So he goes, it's a turtle, <laughs> so badass. And it's so great because Earl now in his head's like, yep, that's an idol, but like he's just passing it off, which is really great. So yeah, so yeah, so he goes to Alex and says, yeah, they're targeting you. So then Earl walks up, and now Earl's like, no, we can't trust you. Then he says, no, it's cool though, because Mookie has an idol. And so now they know that. So so that's sort of at the arms race that we're going now is that the horsemen know that, that Alex is sort of on the chopping block, but yet now the syndicate knows that, that uh, Mookie holds an idol and it's supposedly for the four horsemen. And Speaking Mookie, of arms race, Mookie also knows that Earl has an idol. Well, Mookie, yeah. Mookie, Mookie strongly suspects that yeah. Earl has an idol. And Yao Man knows there's a half a coconut shell buried in the camp somewhere that has the letters <laughs> I.I. written on it. <laughs> Yep. All right. So yeah, we're just setting up this great finale to this episode. All these people knowing stuff, what everybody else has. Everyone knows everyone's cards at this point. And now we go to the immunity challenge, which is—is is this the first time we saw this one? I forget. I yes, kind of forget. This, is, this is before goo. This is before. <laughs> this is this is the Coach Wade Memorial. He hasn't <laughs> appeared in Survivor yet. Challenge. <laughs> Yeah, Coach is off fighting pygmies at this point. He's not quite yeah. back here on the. No, Coach list. would say that he ins- he went to John Kierhofer and he inspired this challenge. <laughs> yes, but it was totally here in Fiji. It's where they are in their little booths and they've got the little footholds on each side, and they there's like three uh, three levels are progressively smaller. So every half hour, you have to like you know go down to the smaller foothold, and then you go to the end, and you know you can prop yourself up with your arms and your legs, but you can't use your back or your butt or your hips or anything like that. So. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not very coach worthy of the challenge. People drop out. Everyone thought Stacy would win cause she's small, but Stacy doesn't win. And in fact, Yao man wins. Stacy totally squandered the opportunity. She did. She also smells. Maybe all those so, negative comments finally hit her at that moment. And she dropped <laughs> off as a result. What, what the, the only interesting I think you could think about is that Stacy looked like she had gone, she gets third and Yao Man wins, but Boo actually hangs in for a long time, which you probably wouldn't expect, but he does very well. But Yao Man wins, which is great because Yao Man wasn't super in trouble. So all of the bullcrap that we have been sort of uh, building up to is still in play when we get back. And we have a very delightful little bit here uh, after the immunity challenge and before tribal council. Well, this is where Mookie is still vowing revenge, right? He's still mad that someone would dare send him to tribal or, uh, to Exile Island. And he's like, I'm furious. We're going to take out Cassandra, but let's take out Earl first. He has an idol. Let's blindside him. Tonight. Yeah, he has That's- this weird backwards logic of like, well, I'm going to take out Cassandra. I'm going to take out her loyal sidekick, Earl, because clearly she's the mastermind of this entire alliance. <laughs> it's like the, the Joker. Mm-hmm. I must kill Batman. Let me take out Robin. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. So the four horsemen think they're going to stick together, and they're going to bring in Stacy, and we're all going to blindside Earl tonight. And then we head over. Too bad. Too bad it's hot outside, or Stacy would have stuck with him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then we get to the scene with Yao Man talking to Stacy, and she's kind of in the middle, just like dreams. People kind of forget that Stacy was right in the middle of this vote as well. And Yao Man says, "You can vote for whoever you want. Just vote for anybody but Earl." She's like, "Huh?" And he's like, "Anyone but Earl," because Yao Man kind of knows what's coming. And yes, yeah, so we're going to the scene where Mike was alluding to, the hot scene. 
Yeah, so Alex Alex brings Stacy because again, you know, Stacy is one of his closest allies. In fact, in the merge episode, the four horsemen before they go to exile sort of divide up a game plan of like, okay, we're all gonna go to a person and try to recruit them, and Stacy is the one that Alex tries to recruit. So he's he's lying on those old moto ties and he says, Okay, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna hop aboard with us, we're all gonna vote for Earl. And Stacy is trying to play it off in the best way she can by just saying Blaming uh, her lack of allegiance to the fact that she is hot and agitated, uh, which obviously does not sit very well with Alex. And he immediately goes to Edgardo and says, nope, Stacy's out. <laughs> I'm just hot. I'm really agitated. <laughs> Surprisingly, that was actually one of the questions in the slam book challenge. Who is the most hot and agitated? You know, but it's Stacy here that, that does that does some work here for the syndicate after that because you know yeah alex is trying to get her in and stuff like that and she clearly is deflecting him and then she's hot and agitated and she goes back and what's great is that alex is relaying this conversation to edgardo and edgardo's like yeah she's not with you dude (laughs) (laughs) which which is a good call in and of itself but this is where sort of the game gets in and of itself is that the syndicate is basically like well we should vote out alex because that was their whole thing right so alex is sort of gotten the idea that that the vote is going to come down on him so he goes to Mookie and he's basically like dude they're going to vote for me this is the thing so then you get the fantastic scene where Mookie slips Alex the hidden immunity idol they do a pass off an exchange a super secret spy thing that nobody noticed but but Dreams did Dreams noticed it <laughs> there's uh, no also, better way to do that yeah like, why really? did they need to do why did they need to do that <laughs> I also love how they're cursing Stacy's name the entire time. They're like, oh god, Stacy's such a bitch as they're passing this <laughs> idol to each other. She is totally squandering this opportunity, that bitch. I hate that hot and agitated bitch. <laughs> That's the last hey, time we- I drank her baby coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we just got the title of the episode. Thank you, Paul. I hate that hot and agitated bitch. <laughs> All right, yeah, so Dream sees that Mookie has slipped the idol to Alex, and Dreams, as as he likes to do, runs right to uh, Earl and says, hey, Mookie just slipped the idol to Alex. So Dreams is now the, the Greek chorus narrating everything to everyone. Right. So so basically, if, if you're following along at home, so the horsemen were basically thinking of, you know, they're, they're basically like, well, you know, we need to get rid of, you know, perhaps Earl. But they're waffling on Earl because they're basically like, well, maybe Earl has an idol. And the syndicate wants to vote out Alex. But the, Dreams has just seen them pass, Mookie pass Alex the idol. So he runs to the syndicate and says, yeah, now Alex has the idol. So then they're like, well, maybe we should switch to Mookie, right? So they're, they're trying to figure out their vote. So then we, get, we, we have the four horsemen where they're basically like, well, you know what? If Earl has a hidden immunity idol and Yao Man has immunity, let's vote out Cassandra. Yeah. So, so the, so the, and, and basically they're like, this is it. This is a lock because Alex has the idol. They're going to vote for Alex. It's going to be null and void. And Earl can play his idol all he wants. And Yao Man has immunity. We're going to vote out Cassandra. So that's, this is where you get this, the one time where I guess Alex is smug because Alex is like, this is brilliant because we're going to vote off Cassandra because she's unprotected. Right. But what they don't know, of course, is that, you know, they're talking about possibly Mookie and Alex and, you know, the whole thing is, is that they're skittish on Mookie too because, you know, he had the idol, right? And they saw Alex have it and they're like, well, I don't know. And I think it's Stacy actually. Isn't it yep. Stacy? It is Stacy. Stacy basically says, well, Ooh. what about Edgardo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what's great here is you have the two alliances, competing alliances, basically doing the exact same thing. Like, right. this person's immune. They're going to think we're going to target this person. Let's target the middle one. And they both have, it's funny, the parallels between these two scenes. And it reminds me of the scene in uh, Greece, Summer, Summer Nights. 
at the start when they're singing, the boys and girls singing about the exact same thing from different perspectives. That's this scene. They're, they're talking the exact same strategy just from different angles. It's hilarious. Oh, my God. Idle Nights. Yes. <laughs> that's that's I, the episode title right there. Um, I Yeah, it's so interesting because and it's really great because this is also, again, the, the, the new iteration of the idol, right? This idol can be played after the votes are cast, but before they're read. So it's not the guaranteed God idol like we saw with Terry and Yule. And it's it's really fun that even in the very first iteration of this new idol, we, we have this strategy happen. And this becomes sort of, sort of the de facto strategy going forward for a lot of idol plays. The number two thing to do besides splitting votes is target someone who's guaranteed to not have the idol. And both camps decide, okay, we're going to go for somebody who will definitely not get the idol handed off to them. Uh, and it's interesting. I sort of forgot that the whole Cassandra idea was Edgardo's plan. I thought it was the Coleman. I thought it was, you know, Mookie was so anti Cassandra. It's interesting that Edgardo is the one that suggests target Cassandra at the end of the day. Yep. Edgardo and Stacy, the brains behind the best episode of the season. Which is funny because ultimately, what this boils down to in a lot of ways is it's really good. But, you know, Earl's side has more numbers at this point because Stacy is, is voting with them, right? And, 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 and Dreams is sort of playing both sides, but Dreams ultimately is not necessarily siding with the Horsemen. So the Horsemen don't have the numbers here. So what they're counting on is they're counting on like a complete misplay. They also think Dreams is voting with them. So they're, they're just thinking that the votes are going to pile on Alex and they don't count. But if you notice, Stacy says, well, why don't you vote out of Gardo? And they basically are like, that's a good idea. Let's not tell Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no one trusts Dreams at this point because Dreams yeah. is literally ping-ponging back and forth between alliances telling people what everyone's doing. Which is why like, this whole vote is so good and the fall of the horseman is so good, but this is not possible. And you know, I'm not a big, a big fan of you know, just going back and forth and talking strategy and stuff like that, but it's completely made watchable in this whole, this whole scene and this whole episode is completely 100% on Dreams. Just the fact that Dreams is there blabbing and telling everyone all the other people's secrets and going back and forth is just gold. It's just fantastic that we have somebody that is floating between both alliances spilling the dirty laundry yeah and, and dream go ahead i was gonna say it's interesting because i feel like one round earlier had this happened dreams would have just been an easy target i feel like last round with the whole boost up both alliances had the mentality of like well let's just take out dreams he's you know he's the dolly here's the tom buchanan he's the christy let's just take out the guy that's causing all the trouble whereas now i don't know maybe something shifted after michelle got voted off and now it's like a game on type of mentality but I think now the syndicate's like out for blood in terms of getting rid of the four horsemen at this point. Well, one thing I wanted to say is a lot of people, again, there's so many characters this season who have not historically been popular or, or well-received. Dreams is another one, just like Lisi and Rocky. A lot of people just don't like Dreams. They don't hate him to the extent of Lisi and Rocky. They just kind of think he was worthless. Like, why was that guy even in the season? What did he bring to the show? Let me remind you, this episode, again, like Jay said, only happens because of Dreams. You have to have a a just shitty impulsive player in the middle just effing up everyone else's game around them to make an episode like this happen so if you like survivor the tv product with glorious moments like this sometimes you need a bad player and they're wrecking everybody else's game to get stuff like this so it's let, let's give dreams a little break on this one it's one of my favorite entries in the funny 115 just the edgardo blindside entry and one of the things that make it is just that fantastic animated gif that's out there and it's just the the, the gif of alex and edgardo's faces just falling as they realize yeah. that Agardo is getting voted out. That does not happen if Dreams is not on that season. Correct. And I didn't make that gift. I wish I knew who did. I just, someone sent it to me. It's one of my favorite moments of Survivor history, and I don't even know who made that gift. 
Though I will admit that there's that nice little shot of Earl nodding there with with his you know his yeah. chin in his hand. That's actually a reused shot from that tribal council. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but when they get in there and Yao Man makes the joke about like this is the first time oh, yeah, I've yeah, come yeah, to yeah. tribal council meeting with no blood pressure, a, a normal blood pressure, and a regular heart rate, and Earl does the exact same thing. And it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Usually in tribal council, they don't actually reuse shots in the same tribal council. This time they did, but I guess it was to sort of cap off such a poignant moment. I just think that Earl's such a badass motherfucker, he just sits and nods like that all the time. That's just his signature move for everything. Well, there is a great, like, when you when they cut to Mookie several times during the fallout of this tribal council, Earl just has this big shit-eating grin on his face <laughs> in the back. It's, it's tough to notice, but if you pause it on a Mookie screen cap, you can see Earl doing it, and it's just, it's a fantastic representation of what the syndicate is thinking throughout this entire tribal council. So okay. we get through the thing, yeah, okay. and we get we get to the the tribal council. We'll just spell it out because we've talked about it at, uh, at length. Basically, they they posture around at tribal council, and then the votes come in, and Alex stands up and plays the idol, and the horsemen are like, "We got it. We're we, we've got it. They voted for, or they all voted for Alex. It's great." And so the votes come in, and then the votes come in. Cassandra, everything's good. There's a vote for Mookie, which is Dreams's vote. Because <laughs> Dreams had no idea what was going Cause, on. Because Dreams didn't know the Edgardo <laughs> plan, and Dreams wasn't voting with the Horsemen, so he was voting with the well, I guess not Alex. It's Mookie then. Yeah. So Dreams votes for Mookie, and then all of the Edgardo votes come in, and the Horsemen realize they're screwed, and Edgardo's oh, out. The facial reactions oh. to those Edgardo votes well, again, so maybe great. the single greatest end to a Survivor episode. You have to. This one has to be in there somewhere. Has to be in the argument. So the the online reception to Fiji during the time was maybe tepid at best. However, I, I can remember that I think this episode and this tribal council in particular was universally acclaimed. I feel like even though this season was kind of shat upon by the online community, they were still saying this is one of the best tribal councils ever. Yeah, that's the thing. Everyone who hates the season, which is like 98% of Survivor fans, will still say, well, that one episode was good. The Fall of the Horseman, that was good. Here's a plea to me. It's a plea from me to modern Survivor editors and maybe even Jeff Probst, who's listening to this podcast. He's totally not. But um, <laughs> my plea is this, is that that Edgardo, it's the, we call it the Edgardo blindside because Edgardo and the Ford Horsemen were blindsided by this. But we, the audience, were not blindsided by this. Like, they told you what was going to happen going into Tribal Council. And if you really sat and crunched the numbers, which isn't a lot of numbers to crunch, it really isn't, it's pretty clear that Edgardo is going to go home at this Tribal Council. Like, this shouldn't have been a surprise to you, the viewer, going into this Tribal Council. Like, it's going to be Edgardo or... You know, well, it's going to be Edgardo. Like, they told you exactly what was going to happen. We saw the back and forth with both camps. And that was okay. It didn't make the tribal council worse. It made it better that you knew that that was going to happen, right? And it was just kind of like, then you got to see it happen. And I'm not saying that we have to know everything going on, but I feel like in a lot of more modern editing, and they do it sometimes in the olden times, but it's not just the decoy vote or something like that. It's not just that. It's just the fact that they omit a lot of things because they want, they literally want the tribal council to be a surprise, and to yep. me, it's like it doesn't necessarily have to be a surprise. You can tell the story and sort of, you know, it's, it's not even like they hinted at. They were basically like, yeah, it's probably Edgardo and this is what they're doing. And then you see Edgardo get voted off. But it's like you saw the whole process of how this came to be. And it just made it really satisfying to see it all the way to the end. And so my 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 plea is basically do more of this. Tell a story. It's OK. We don't need to be completely surprised by every vote out. 
Yeah, this one wouldn't have worked if it had been a surprise. Right. It really wouldn't have been anywhere near as effective. It's effective because we knew. We saw the back and forth. Like, at first it was going to be Earl and it was going to be Alex, but then it's not. But then it's this, but then it's that. And it's dreams ping-ponging back and forth. And then it's the fact that the four horsemen come in. They're like, yep, we got it. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah. And then they don't. It's, it's, it's very nice. It's well done, well shot, well, well told. This is storytelling at its finest. Yeah. And yeah. it's just little, it'll, even little details like that that tell you all you need to know. Like, Dreams votes for Mookie because he's still two plans behind because nobody's filling him in anymore. It's just little stuff like that that makes this even better. Yeah, and I feel like this is like the producers were frothing at the mouth for a variety of reasons, but I think one of them is that this is like this is what we wanted with the hidden immunity idol. Not that, and they'll get their sort of we'll get the the actual value of the idol later on when Yao Man successfully protects himself and sends Stacy out of the game. But this is an example of like how much paranoia it can cause. Half the tribe was vulnerable at one point, their names being thrown out there at one point in time during this post-immunity challenge scrambling because of the threat of the idol. And I feel like, I would would say, argue that actually because of this tribal council, that's why they kept the idol the way that it is today, is because they thought like, oh, this is going to cause a lot of drama. Let's keep it this exact same format from now on. By the way, I, I may be way off base on this, but Jay, haven't I heard you say before I hope I'm not wrong, that this was a spectacular misuse of the idol by everyone. Was that you that said that? It sounds it sounds like me. I don't necessarily recall that, but it sounds it, it sounds like that, but it, it, it is in a way a misuse of the <laughs> idol by everyone. Yeah. But it still it makes it better. I mean it's I've I've argued that for years that sometimes bad gameplay in fact often bad gameplay is way more entertaining than good gameplay. So I just again I have nothing bad to say about this episode. It's one of my all time favorites and it's and again, I just do not see how you can hate a season with this quality of an episode in there. Wow, we got through the Edgardo blindside. God, what an episode. What a, what a tribal council. It's so good. Yeah. This whole stretch of episodes was just a treat to watch. And again, I, just, yeah. I can't say enough about it. I've been watching some seasons I don't enjoy in researching the Funny 115 or just the more recent season, which... I'm not going to say what it was. I don't want to t- date this episode, this uh, podcast. But yeah, it's just I've been watching a lot of seasons I haven't really been into, haven't really seen much, haven't, haven't been attached to them all. But watching Fiji and seeing these episodes, these particular 6 through 10, and again, that's even counting the bullshit Michelle episode, which is just stupid. Even counting that, this is just a great stretch of episode with some really big characters that just, characters and moments that just jump right off the screen. And again, Fiji is such a joy to watch and give another chance, especially if you didn't like it the first time. And we're in for an interesting final stretch, gentlemen. And I mean, from again, from what I remember, I'm contextualizing it. I, I now that the four horsemen are, are have fallen, uh, I, I remember the Mookie and Alex episodes are not amazing. I think they're still okay. It's sort of like delaying the inevitable. But we're gonna get into like I would almost compare the end of Fiji to the end of Palau in terms of our discussion because I feel like we're gonna have a lot of interesting talk about the car curse and Stacy essentially talking her way out of the game and ultimately the decision to of dreams to not give away immunity at the final four that's really going to lead to a lot of really interesting discussion going into this end game yeah we're not even to the point is my absolute favorite of Stacy so I cannot wait to start (laughs) off the discussion next historians episode absolute best yeah on a list of great Stacy moments this is easy one of the top two or three coming up wow yeah I was going to say that we're not even to the point of the season that Probst hyped in all the preseason materials. We're not even to the the most controversial decision in Survivor history. So there's a lot of good stuff still coming. I can't wait. It's just been a fun season 
so far. And again, you know, people look at it and, and look at the ending and just go, oh, Earl, blah, 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 blah. We've had so many helicopter shots with him doing doing the dance and, and uh, you know, you see how it goes. But it, it's not just about that. It's about how we get there. And I, I think that, that Paul really talking about Stacy in the next episode and things like that are really going to sort of flesh out sort of the, 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 the winding stretch of Survivor Fiji. <laughs> yes. Paul is the make or break point of this podcast, whether you will appreciate Fiji. It's the Stacy stuff. Paul is the yes. dreams Finally of this podcast. Finally, you're acknowledging me for what I bring to this podcast, even though you kicked me off for a couple years. <laughs> Paul, you're the dreams of this podcast. Aww, He's homeless Jay. and you can do awesome backflips. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, got anything else to talk about? We've crossed the three-hour barrier. You know, I have to say, I, I, I really do try to keep these podcasts to like two and a half hours. I really would, and my, my wife would be so happy because I wouldn't hog up our uh, laptop here every Sunday. But it, it, we always go over three because we have so much fun talking about this stuff. So I hope you guys appreciate these podcasts. And I, I, if nothing else, I hope you kind of get a, uh, a second, uh, second opinion on kind of a Fiji, which is a season I've long held near and dear to my heart as one that needs a reputation turn. It's very important to me that people give this season another chance because it just is so universally hated and I don't get it. And Mario, is it true that we are going to get the return of our Renee Siler insider information for part three? I'll do the best I can. You know, the only uh, uh, we- ar- weapon I have in my arsenal is Paul here. Paul is my Renee Siler. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. To what Mike's inferring is uh, the insider info about Cook Islands. Yes, I uh, do have some insider information about Fiji. It's not as earth-shattering as the Cook Island stuff, but there's some good stuff about Fiji that Renee has been nice enough to send us. So, yeah, we will, we, we will have some good stuff in Part 3. <clears throat> and with that, I think uh, that's it. We are two-thirds of the way through Cyber, uh, Survivor Fiji, and this much closer to China and Micronesia, which are going to be fantastic seasons to talk about. Yeah, I'm about ready to get off this podcast with you. Lahu, lahu, zahers. Mm-hmm. Paul, have you actually seen Ace Ventura? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, just checking. <laughs> no, the, the, the cable guy just got into Montana Airways, so they're working through Jim Carrey's cannon here. <laughs> For the record, I don't live in Montana anymore, you guys. Well, Montana's always in your heart. Right. <laughs> yes, it's like cholesterol. It never leaves. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Um, so, uh, again, if you have any uh, feedback or uh, comments or you just want to yell at us because we were rude to Anthony, you can email at us at, at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. We also usually have discussion threads on, uh, on uh, the, uh, the tribe has a message board on, on Facebook where you can talk about it. I have a survivor group that I created called Zoe's Lobster Shack. If you'd like to go in there, we talk about the episodes. Um, that's about it. We love to hear feedback. As always, I'm uh, Mario Lanza, and I'm just old podcasty sitting back here doing my podcast. Wow, how do you even follow that? I'm Jay Fisher, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm Mike Blumen. Um, and I'm Paul Osselson. I throw my hands up in the air as if to say, what the hell? <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, and I hope you don't get smacked in the mouth with a cinder block. Talk to you guys later. Bye. It's over, bro. Am I going to miss Anthony when he's gone? We had a couple good times, you know, when we started, like, not really, not really, no. A little idle digging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's where I suspect it is, right around there. It's got to be right here where we're sleeping. I suspect Alex told Mookie. 
that the idol is right where we sleep because this morning Mookie tried to be like a little discreet, flipping leaves and trying to play with the ground. And I was like, what, idol digging? And he had no choice but to say, uh, yeah. I'm like, dude, you're gonna have to wake up really, really early to fool an old cat like me. What's wrong with you? I found the lemon tree.